football poop is doing. Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So, Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo back here with Sam Monson. We are going to preview all things week six. But first, I want to tell you about our friends over at Monkey Knife Fight. A no-brainer of a deal right here. All first-time depositors at Monkey Knife Fight that put at least $20 into their account while using the promo code PFF will receive a free PFF Edge annual subscription. That's right, $40 of value for just $20. And you get the opportunity to turn that $20 into even more money playing daily fantasy and prop games at one of the fastest growing fantasy sports sites in the U.S. in Monkey Knife Fight. So go to Monkey Knife Fight right now, deposit your 20, add the promo code PFF, receive your free PFF Edge, Edge annual subscription. This is just the easiest thing to do. $20 for $40 of value plus the opportunity to play. It's over at Monkey Knife Fight. Cha-ching. Also, the PFF NFL podcast is brought to you by pristineauction.com. Check out their daily auctions with $1 starting bids on over 8,000 football items up for auction. Pristine Auction guarantees authenticity on every product. Just use the promo code PFF and you'll get $10 off your first invoice. And right now, we're currently giving away a signed Jerry Rice jersey. That's right, the greatest receiver of all time. We're giving it away. All you guys have to do, rate and review the podcast. That's right, five stars. Rate it wherever you're listening to these podcasts. Leave some sort of contact. And we'll be choosing a winner next week. It's over at pristineauction.com. And be sure to rate and review for the opportunity for that Jerry Rice jersey. All right, let's get into That's some of the week. Deal. It is. It's a sweet deal. Also, just want to mention at the top, the Chris Collinsworth podcast. It's live. It's great. It's him and Richard Sherman. And Al this week. And Al. With stories. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot going on there. So check need, it out wherever you're listening to this. Search the Chris Collinsworth podcast. We need a whole pod that's just Al telling stories. I think that would be gold. Do you think we can get him on here yeah, as one right. of our guests? Sure, why not? Chris Collinsworth podcast. Him and Sherman every single week. They provide the most interesting football conversation in sports every single week, and sometimes they go off the field as well. They were talking about basketball and mm. greatest player of all time and all that stuff this week. Additionally, Chris will be taking a dive into the game of football as he sees it. And, you know, as you mentioned, they invite some of the brightest minds, including the great Al Michaels, this week. So mark your calendars. You don't want to miss it. 60 minutes of insight every single week. Just download it, subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. Al, who was cruelly robbed of an Oscar for his performance in basketball. Oh, man, he was, all those years he was legit. That wasn't 94 as well, was it? Was that a... A Cleveland no, Browns I think connection? it was a little later. It is, right? I think it's it was, like 2098. It was closer like to 90, uh, 98 to 2000, I think. Um, you know, shout out to our YouTube 
viewers too who went when you go to the Chris Collinsworth podcast and you watch it on YouTube just say Steve and Sam sent you yes just to make you know because people are already doing that but go just do say, it now in fact all I'm of here. you do it at once right now say, I'm here because Steve and Sam sent me yeah that That's way we look want. good yeah it's all about credit here and we just want to make sure we get proper credit absolutely all right let's get into the week six action no Thursday night football nope to discuss there were some uh, rumblings about uh, COVID in uh, in Atlanta this morning with Atlanta and the Vikings. As of now, though, it seems like the game should be on. So we'll discuss that as well. Let's start with... <laughs> the Vikings are, like, taking it from... In a, uh, like, they're getting the the collateral damage from a bunch of different COVID scares. Tennessee first, uh, just after they played the Vikings, was their giant breakout. And now the team they were supposed to play, Atlanta, has a, a potential breakout, or at least certainly a first guy testing positive. Watch out, Minnesota. Just watch out. Let's get into the biggest games of the week. Starting with the Kansas City Chiefs at the Buffalo Bills. This is yeah. going to be awesome. Yeah, although it's lost a little bit of its luster since a week ago. Yeah, I mean, I, look, I think ultimately, here's the deal. I always talk about the NFC and their depth, and it's so tough to win in the NFC. Look at the AFC right now. Because Buffalo's at 4-1, and one, and yeah. Tennessee's undefeated. Steelers are undefeated. Kind of swung this year. Yeah, and you still feel like the Chiefs and the Ravens are at a different level, but they haven't played at a different level this year. Right, and then you know New England's still lurking around. The Raiders are winning games. I mean, there's a lot going on in the AFC. So I think I don't think it's lost luster. I know it's not undefeated versus undefeated, but it's because Buffalo lost to a good Tennessee team the other night. Yeah, but I, a week ago, both these teams, well, Chiefs lesser, but both these teams looked, you know, fairly not invincible, but there wasn't an obvious sort of flaw, and they hadn't shown weakness in a major way. Like Kansas City hadn't played that well. But the story was, <laughs> despite not playing well, they're racking up 30 points a game and looking near unbeatable, right? Um, Buffalo, like, legitimately hadn't played badly yet. Um, and Josh Allen was playing fantastically to the point where one of us signed an apology form. Other one didn't. Um, I, I'm just saying, since the apology, we have a 60... Since I ripped up the apology, he's in the 60s from a grading standpoint. Mm. The stats aren't great. He had an unlucky yeah. interception in there, but he also should have had another one. It was, what was, it was you know, old Josh Allen the other night. I think what was kind of funny about that is that like Jay Feely in the booth was doing backflips to excuse the interception against uh, was it Miami the one the where he like contested catch and they gave it to the the interception yeah. guy. Whereas like in the actual game you were commenting on, you threw a ball that hit a guy in the hands and ended up as a pick. Like that seems like one you could have easily explained beyond going. Well, you know, a couple of weeks ago he had a pick that wasn't really his yeah. fault. Anyway, the other passes that should have either way, either way. I'm just saying that it's you Allen's know, still dangerous. I don't. It, it's still a really intriguing matchup, but it's it's slightly less fancy than like two phenomenal teams, both of which look. It's a potential AFC Championship game preview. It still is, but now there's actual signs of weakness from both these teams, and I'm kind of curious to see now if each team sort of tries to take what the learnings were from the bad games, right? Like yeah. the Raiders did a very concerted effort uh, game plan wise to slow down Mahomes and the Chiefs do Buffalo try and like adopt that game plan lock stock and barrel or do they just try and play their game and hope that it's good enough um, and then it's kind of similar thing on the other side like do the Chiefs basically try and adopt what the Titans were able to do to Josh Allen yeah and I think I think both of it was zone defense related yeah. Um, from a slowdown Mahomes standpoint, the Raiders did a pretty good job of mixing up their coverages, rolling their safeties, and making Mahomes play a patient game. And I would say that's the same thing Tennessee did with Josh Allen. 
they made him play a patient game. And, you know, he played okay, but there were a couple mistakes in there. Misread of cover two, throw the ball right to Malcolm Butler. Uh, he should have had another pretty bad pick with a middle linebacker lurking over the middle. But he also made some throws. But the patience aspect, uh, it's we're going to talk about this later. By the way, we have Will Brinson on later from CBS Sports. Yes. And he brings this up. Um, so I'll repeat some of the stuff that we interviewed him yesterday that we said. Um, we talked about this, you know, zone defense concept in making these explosive big play quarterbacks play a patient game. I just want to discuss Mahomes for, for a second here because it was such a, an incredible game that he played on Sunday. Just incredible as in like unique. It was the highest grade we've given since 2013 for a player that had six big time throws and four turnover worthy plays in one game. So you've got this crazy level of volatility, some disastrous p passes in there that didn't even come back to bite a ton for Mahomes, one interception, and then six ridiculous big time throws, including the 65 yarder in the air in stride that didn't count, yeah. a cross body 25 yarder that was dropped. I mean, just ri ridiculous throws for Mahomes on the good end, some bad ones, but he also was inviting pressure left and right and he wasn't taking the easy stuff. I wrote about it this week. That was Texas Tech Mahomes. That was Texas Tech Mahomes. It it was still more good than bad. He graded pretty well, but I'm curious about that. Does he get back to playing within structure a little bit more mm. against yeah. the Bills here? And the Bills are going to try to make him be patient and take the easy stuff, right? That's the, I'm not. I'm usually not big on this idea of like there's a blueprint set out by a team that wins, but I do think that the Raiders showed a specific design game plan that worked. And that, I mean, if that isn't the blueprint, I don't know what it is, right? Like that is fundamentally, <laughs> that's an actual game plan tailored to this guy that, that worked. Um, and it's different to the one. So a lot of the times te teams use that when like the Patriots do something, right? It's like, well, that's the blueprint to beat this team. All right. you need is an all pro cornerback, a bunch of other, and the greatest coach of all time. Done. Right? So it's All not, you need is a four-man rush and great coverage. Right. That's it. It's like, it's not something you can replicate, but the Raiders don't have particularly good defenders. Like, there's nobody on that defense that you're like, oh, God, we can't execute this game plan because we don't have this guy. Like, they just had a specific schematic plan that caused problems for Mahomes and sort of caused him a little bit like Baker Mayfield to lean into his negative tendencies anyway, right? It's not like they found something that wasn't there before. We know Mahomes can play like this. They just found a way to get to sort of tease him into leaning into those negatives. And he did, took the bait and played like that. Um, so I'm curious to see if the Bills can do that. The, their big problem is so many guys banged up in that secondary. Right. That was their problem against Tennessee. You know, we're used to Tredavious White and uh, Levi Wallace. Um, and they were reduced to sort of Josh Norman and you know, guys that just, other than getting stiff armed to the ground, like guys that generally aren't so, at that level. Someone corrected me because I post the big time throw of the week every week and they were like, actually this Derrick Henry throw was the best throw of the week. Fair, fair and point. It was tough to argue that his throw of Josh Norman. Josh Norman, by the way, was also getting screwed by weird defensive pass interference penalties. Like he got one on A.J. Brown that was just penalties. good coverage. Yeah. I mean, so here's the thing. Buffalo, we always talk about defense and how it's really tough to predict. Buffalo, for three straight years, were kind of bucking that trend. Since Sean McDermott took over in 2017, top 10 coverage unit, year after year after year. This year, yeah, they had injuries last week, but that has been in line with how they've played this year. They are not one of the best defenses in the league so far, 
right? They, they've been playing in shootouts. They're in the middle of the pack as far as straight-up coverage grade goes. Their defense grade is in the bottom half of the league. We haven't seen that for the Bills. Um, they, they got run over early Sean McDermott years, but then they just got better and better and better. Um, so I think they're still capable when they're healthy. But this looks like another shootout, right? Chiefs and Bills and yeah. the offense is dictating the action. Yeah, and it, for Josh Allen, it's a chance to see if he does bounce back or if we just caught four games of like crazy high-end play. You know, the, the thing that you were saying, I'm not ready yet. I'm not going to crown him. We're going to wait and see. Apology form torn up. Yeah, We get to see now, okay, at least for a week, you were right. He went back in the tank or went back to being back to being more like the old Josh Allen, right? Which is there's still some crazy plays in there. Like he made a couple of plays in yeah. that game where you were like, wow, that, that's impressive. But this was more in line with the previous Josh Allen in terms of some routine misses, some bad mistakes that he hadn't made as much of. Um, Even some, there were a few drops in there and they yeah, were yeah. beyond the line of scrimmage, but there was there were plays in there where it was just, it was back right. shoulder instead there was of some front. Bad, it was just the accuracy didn't help. Yes, there was some bad ball location stuff in there that hasn't really been there for most of the season so far. So this is a chance for him to show that, okay, that was just a blip. Bad game, you know, caught lightning in a bottle, weird game that had been moved around, whatever. Now he gets a chance to bounce back. Where do you stand on the Chiefs right now and this idea that, hey, they looked like they were the best team in the league. We thought they were. There's enough previous evidence that they should be. And their defense was playing pretty well. They get smoked last week by the Raiders. The, other, the Ravens game, they were fantastic across yeah. the board. Yep. But they've played one really good complete game, and every other game they've played has been, eh, you know, they actually didn't dominate the Texans early on. They went to overtime with the Chargers. This game against the Bills, the New England game, they couldn't move the ball mm -hmm. hardly, you know, like they normally do. What do you make of the Chiefs at this point? To me, I tend to side on the idea that that's a good thing, not a bad thing, that they've been yeah. stumbling their way through the season and still looking fairly imperious. You know right. what I mean? Like they're winning games. When you've got a Mahomes and a, an Andy Reid and all those weapons, you can be so off your game and still win. It's, it's ridiculous, right? And even like cast your mind back to last year. The, the Ravens were the juggernaut in the NFL. Right. Like they swept through the regular season, looked like the team that was going to stomp everybody on their way through to the Super Bowl. Lamar Jackson was the MVP. Mahomes and the Chiefs, obviously Mahomes missed some time, didn't play that well for a lot of the, the other uh, periods either side of the injury, largely help, are hampered by the injuries. Um, and then you get to the playoffs and they're buried in like every game. Like they're down double digits every single game. And that just puts them like in their comfort zone. It's like, yeah. oh, well, now all the pressure's off. Let's cook. And they, you know, that's when they let rip and you just can't stop that high octane passing offense when they're, when they have nothing to lose, when they're playing with all four downs and you have four shots to pick up 10 yards, that offense is basically unstoppable. And that's what we saw. But I think because it ended the way it did and they win the Super Bowl, I, we almost sort of revise history and like, well, they're just, they're just unbeatable. They're so good. Every right. down across the board, there's no way of stopping it. So they were eight up, minutes away from losing the Super Bowl. Right. Right. I mean, so it's not invincibility. And, you know, like, like <laughs> every game they were buried, right? So when you look at them now and it's like, well, they're stumbling here and they didn't look that great here. It's like, yeah, but this is not different to where, the way it's been before. It's just that the whole point about them is that they are so explosive that even when they suck, you're only two minutes away from them putting up 20 points right. and, you know, changing the outcome of what's happening. Now, against uh, the Raiders, that didn't happen, right? They 
they got the one score and then they couldn't stop uh, Las Vegas from grinding out the clock and they didn't get a second shot at it. I genuinely believe that if they had, if they'd stopped in there, gotten the ball back, I think the Chiefs would have won. I think they'd have gone down the length of the field and scored. But so much of the end of the games now is whether you get that next possession. And they just didn't get the next possession. But I think fundamentally, we are still talking about one of the most dangerous teams in the NFL and one of the best. All right, so we've got a three and a half point spread. Kansas City favored at Buffalo as of now. It's three and a half. I am fascinated to see what Kansas City's defense does to adjust. They gave up 219 yards on deep passes last week. Spags, Spags. defensive coordinator, loves to take away the middle of the field. If he does that again, will there be some of those opportunities over the top? If John Brown is healthy, that changes Buffalo's huge uh, offense as well. So a lot of it's going to come down to health. Who's actually out there yeah. for Buffalo? I do like Kansas City in this one too, and I, I'm counting on Spags bouncing back and having a good game plan. He's a good week-to-week game planner, having a good one for Allen. I think John Brown is huge in this game. He's, yes. the, he's the sort of designated deep threat for this offense. Um, it's not that they don't have – excuse me – it didn't, no, didn't happen. Anyway, it was a fake sneeze. It was, almost sneezed. Can didn't. we cut? No, don't cut that. Keep that in. Tyler, can you, you stitch that out? You're good. Yeah, man. Anyway, so he's like the designated deep threat for this offense. And it's not that they don't have other players that can do that. Like Stephon Diggs was the deep threat in Minnesota, was one of the best deep threats in the past couple of years. Um, I think Gabriel Davis can be a really good deep threat as well. It's just that we haven't really seen them adjust to that i mean or, or certainly they didn't against tennessee right john brown wasn't there the deep threat wasn't on the field and we didn't have a backup plan we didn't have somebody else doing that but they didn't replace him with stefan diggs or gabriel davis they just didn't have that in the arsenal and i think they need that in the arsenal against a team like the chiefs so if john brown isn't playing again they need to figure out like well who's going to replace that role in this system because that's a pretty important part of this i don't who are you taking in this uh, I don't know. Who am I taking? Kansas City. I'll Duh. also take Kansas City in this one. Let's go to, look at this, an AFC central battle no, between the Pittsburgh that. Steelers and the Cleveland Browns. How many people listening to this do you think are even alive when the AFC central was last? Come on. 1990, uh, 2001 was the last year. Okay. It was it's now 2020. Yeah. If you are a... School, I'll look at our demographic numbers. Most people were were alive. We skew pretty young. I, like if you're a high school and or early college, you don't know about the AFC Central. All right. Well, it's the AFC North. So stop it's mentioning it. AFC North. The Cleveland Browns. Where were you in 1994? Oh, we'll talk about it later. Later on, we ask Will Brinson and we get into some detail. Where were we back in 1994? Last time the AFC Central is what was yeah. happening. But the last time the Browns were four and one. It's a fascinating matchup. Of course, we start with the quarterbacks. Baker Mayfield, we've said as before, not playing that great. The offense is still moving the ball. Yeah. Right? On the other side, if you look at my QB review article this week, mm -hmm. I talked about Big Ben and said he is playing Alex Smithian football. Everything about Big Ben, statistically, his percentage of passes beyond the sticks, second lowest of his career, lowest A dot of his career, average depth of target. He's got six big-time throws, at a point where, for perspective, he'd normally have, say, 12. He'd probably have right. 12, 13. Like, he'd be up among the league leaders. That's his game. He only has six in only, but only two turnover-worthy plays. Mm -hmm. And a big chunk of his yards coming after the catch. If you put that five-week, four-week stat line up there with no name, you'd be like, oh, this looks like Alex Smith. The, and the numbers are good. Passer rating's fine. The numbers are good. And that's okay. 
Yeah. That's just how he's playing right now. It's just stylistically, that's where Pittsburgh is. What do you make of this Brown-Steelers matchup? I mean, not only is it okay, I think it's actually smart. Like, Ben He's Roethlis aging. That's how you age. Yeah, yeah. Right? Ben Roethlisberger this year was a big question mark, right? It's This guy had a major injury on his throwing arm when he was old as hell, right? That's yeah. not a great combination in terms of getting back to where you were. You know, and, and Ben Roethlisberger at his best was one of those um, quarterbacks in a high-octane downfield passing attack. That was a big concern. So how do you mitigate that? Well, one way of doing it is don't ask him to be that guy. You, ha you now have a stable of receivers that you're really confident in with the addition of a guy like Chase Claypool only helps that. So you don't need him to be, you know, Mr. Air it out deep down the field, high volume, high octane, high risk passing. Have him be a facilitator, a, an Alex Smith, a Teddy Bridgewater, a guy whose only job it is is to just get the ball in the hands of the playmakers. And I think he can do that at a pretty high level also think he's still capable right i mean there's going to come a time when they do have to you know maybe win a shootout against the chiefs or yeah. the titans when they, you know whoever it is along the way and and it maybe just he has it in his pocket i don't think he's incapable right but the other thing is he might be better suited to make that change than a quarterback that's always been the center of this offense right so like, if you took a Drew Brees or a Peyton Manning or one of these guys that's always had to carry everything, right, and said, okay, now your job is to just be Alex Smith, right? Just get manage the game. Don't screw it up. I think those guys would have a real hard time reining themselves back in and just being that guy, right? But Roethlisberger spent the first few years of his career being that guy. True. Like your first, your job for the first like multiple seasons is this is a Super Bowl roster. Don't mess it up, right? No, it was, Just get the ball to Heinz Ward and don't throw it yeah. to the defense. It was run first. We had some play action shots right. that are designed and mm -hmm. take care of the ball. So he's already done that, and then he he grew and he developed and he expanded his game and became you know the one of the the better quarterbacks of his generation. But I think that's probably easier to revisit that old muscle memory of, hey, I've done this before. I don't need to be the guy. I can pull it back and I can let everyone else make plays. If you're you know, Peyton Manning or Drew Brees, it, it's harder to find that because you're learning it from scratch. You're not, you haven't been there before. Yeah, it's a really good point. I think- um, Thank you, Steve. Thank you. As I'm looking at the injury report for the Browns. Okay. It, you got um, it takes up the entire page. Ooh. There's a lot going on here. If you just look at, as of Wednesday, questionable players, Ronnie Harrison, Wyatt Teller, J.C. Treader, Sheldon Richardson, Kareem Hunt, Jarvis Landry, Carl Joseph, Larry Ogunjobi, Baker Mayfield. Yes. Did you hear uh, on the Chris Collinsworth podcast featuring Richard Sherman? I did, because I listened to every episode. Excellent. Um, Chris made a very interesting point, I think, about Baker's ribs, right? So he had rib injury, has the x-ray. It's like, oh, clear, no rib break. Um, he was saying that a ton of times you don't see, like, other than like a clear, you know, yes, your rib is not attached to where it should right. be. That's pretty obvious to see in the x-ray. But he's like, if you have just cracked ribs, you don't necessarily see that on the x-ray because it hasn't started to calcify yet, which is what gives you the white line yeah. that makes it obvious, right? So they don't see it a lot of the times on the initial x-ray until like a couple of weeks later. You get another one. It's like, oh, yeah, there's the there's the white line. We must have missed that the first time. So the fact that Baker Mayfield had the x-ray and it's clear, you know, air quotes, yeah. means nothing. Also, very even if little. it's not broken and it's just bruised, it's like, man, yeah, that, rib injuries hurt. That probably sucks. Yeah. Um, but like this idea that Mayfield is good to go because he got cleared from an x-ray doesn't really mean a whole lot necessarily. 
Yeah, so again, it, we're recording this a couple days out, so a lot of this is going to be predicated on injury. Uh, on paper, if, if everybody plays, right? And I know there's different levels of questionable, but this trench battle, and we might start saying this every week, we, we had the Browns as the number six offensive line coming into the season. And we may have underrated him. Yeah. Because what Wyatt, Wyatt Teller has done at guard and played, um, he, he missed most of the indie game, came out of it due to injury, but because he's played at such a high level and then the other guys around him who were already good or solid have played well. This trench bat battle is going to be fantastic. So Brown's offensive line against a really good Steelers defensive front. My question mark is the Browns always, even with Nick Chubb out, Kareem Hunt went healthy, tough to tackle. The Browns running backs have been so difficult to tackle. The Steelers have the number 28 tackling grade. This is going to be a trench battle because the Browns want to run the ball. And then it's Steelers linebackers finishing plays. And I think that's going to be a huge part of this game. As much as we love the pass game, the Browns want to run it. The Steelers are pretty good up front. It's going to be a good one. Yeah, I mean, to me, the whole battle is this Blitzburg defense against Baker Mayfield. We yeah. saw what happened in week one. The, the Ravens are the other most blitz-happy team in the NFL. They also do a lot of creative things on the back end of that to confuse where you expect to go with the ball when you do read blitz. Yeah. So, you know, blitzing generally is designed to do two things. One, either send more bodies than you're capable of blocking up front, right? You have a five-man protection. I'm going to send six guys. There will be a free rusher um, to get pressure because pressure makes bad things happen for a passing attack. The, uh, the other thing it's designed to do is if you send uh, unusual players, you can banjax the protection even without sending more people than you're capable of blocking. Banjax. Right? So you can have five guys rushing and five guys in protection, but if you've confused the blocking scheme by sending a guy they weren't expecting, it still it can get home, right? So those are the two sort of what, things that sending blitz are designed to do. The problem is that NFL quarterbacks essentially got too good at reading the blitz and too good at just putting the ball in behind it and picking up the free yardage that you were giving them, right? So you blitz the nickel corner, you just run a hot route from the slot, and there's a free 10 yards because the safety or the linebacker has to roll over and it takes them too long, and it's just it's free play. So now you're seeing defenses get really creative in terms of how they patch up that hole. And again, this is not a new thing. Like The league is so cyclical that it just comes around and, and goes around you get little tweaks here and there like this is essentially zone blitzing right Th those kind of we fire a guy or we drop a guy from the defensive line you weren't expecting and fire a guy from somewhere else right same kind of principle except we're just sort of changing who's moving and who's yeah. who's dropping but basically the ravens are really good at doing that they confuse the living crap out of baker mayfield in week one he threw a ball to calais campbell instead of his own receiver these kinds of things right the Steelers, I think, are slightly less creative on the back end, but they're just as aggressive up front. They're better in terms of man-on-man -man ability up front. Like, Baltimore are sending blitzes without the benefit of having Cameron Hayward, TJ Watt, um, Stephon Tuitt, guys that win one-on-one -on -one anyway. Right. So you're going to get Baker Mayfield under a ton of pressure, facing a ton of blitzes. And we get to see if he's capable of dealing with that now, five weeks into the season, when he wasn't the first week of the season. And the, the, or the connection to that is, does this Browns offense function if you're able to just throw a weight of bodies at them the way the Ravens did and the way Pittsburgh are going to do? Yeah, I really want to see that. Indy's got a good defense. 
but they're also zone heavy. Right. You know, it's, it's sit back and you know keep things in front of you. One right? of the least blitz happy teams in the NFL. Right. So Baker. It, so the offense has had success against Indy, and then the you know the Bengals who they played, and just Washington, high. and some other teams that just aren't that great. Yeah. Uh, this is the the biggest challenge since week one. Yeah. When the Browns looked like a completely different team. When it didn't work. Right. So I could see this being. You know, not an easy Steelers win, but I could see them controlling the game if the Browns' offense just never gets going. Yeah. Um, but this this is the biggest test, not only for Baker but Tevin Stefanski. And the point I made the other day, do you? We keep saying like, hey, if if they're not play, Baker's not playing as well as we thought, is that a good thing? There's more in the tank, or is that a bad thing? Like they're surviving right without him, and you know it's going to come back to bite. I, I think there's more in the tank there, and there are games like this where. He needs to make plays. He didn't do it down the stretch in the Colts game. He turned it over instead. Yeah. Then the problem is, is that I think the tendency is for him to play the wrong way the, compared to the way I think this needs to function, right? They're going to send a ton of pressure, a ton of bodies. He needs to step up in the way that, you know, good Kirk Cousins shows up sometimes where he's able to stand in the pocket, deliver some insane dimes deep down the field with guys about to bury him, right? What he doesn't need to do is oh no, there's bodies, I got to run away, I got to make plays out on the, you know, out on the perimeter by myself because that's just not going to work. Like yeah. if Baker, if his reaction to all this pressure is the way it used to be, which is bounce from the pocket, roll right, and try and find someone on the sideline, the Browns are done. Right. If his reaction to that is, I'm going to take a beating this week with my busted up ribs, but I just got to do it. And I'm going to stand back there and heave a 40-yard dime to, <clears throat> to Odell Beckham Jr., and look like you know good Kirk Cousins, then they're in business. But I I find it hard to believe that's what we're going to see. Uh, the Steelers have some injuries too. You know, again, just looking at the questionable list as of Wednesday: T.J. Watt, Juju, Deontay Johnson, Eric Ebron, Marquise Pouncey, David DeCastro. DeCastro left the Eagles game with injury. So there's a lot going on on both sides. A lot of injuries around the league here. But I, I love this matchup. I love that it's relevant. Pittsburgh's favored by three. I, I could. I like Pittsburgh to win. I could see them covering that. I could see a, more scenarios where they cover easily. Again, it's the NFL. Anything can happen. But I just think the matchup could be really bad for the Browns, as yeah. you've outlined. I think this is going to be a theme for the Browns this season, is that almost no matter how much they win, we are there's there are going to be games where we anticipate. Look, they could make this close, and it could be interesting. On the other hand, On the other hand there's a fairly fun. large you know, minority of scenarios of outcomes where they get absolutely waxed and just can't live with the Steelers uh, on that side of the ball. I agree. I think Pittsburgh win. And I just, I'm too scared by that week one Ravens game. Like they, the Steelers are too similar to Baltimore in terms of what they do on defense to say that, oh, well, everything's fixed for Cleveland since then, particularly with half the offensive line questionable. Right. I just, it feels like they might get their ass kicked in this. All right, let's move to the NFC. Green Bay Packers at the Tampa Bay Bucks. We got because Tom Brady decided to go to the Bucks. We get another Aaron Rodgers versus Tom Brady matchup. Yeah, you know we got a lot of we got the two Super Brady Bowl that you've been looking for for the past. I have predicted years. Yes, I predicted Rodgers versus Brady in the Super Bowl. Packers Patriots every year since now it like can't happen. Yeah, not unless Rodgers goes somewhere else. Now it just happens in Week Six. Yeah. Uh, it happened a couple years ago on Sunday Night Football. Patriots and Packers NFC Central battle now. Yes, the <laughs> NFC Central. Your, uh, your uh, what? You know, bright orange box. Yeah. In the uh, in no, the they Packers. Were still, they went pewter. It's still in the Central, I think. They did. They have some. They did have some pewter years. Um, what I'm well, we always start with the quarterbacks. It's the most important thing. It's Brady versus Rodgers. I think the 
the interesting facet here is Green Bay, from an offensive standpoint, Aaron Rodgers is playing great, but they're also doing everything right, quote-unquote right, offensively. The aggressiveness, pass when you're supposed to run, pass when they think you're going to run, using motion, scheming guys open. All of it's good for Green Bay right now. Yep. I feel like Tampa Bay and the Bruce Arian system run by Byron Leftwich has been so much, so dependent on deep passes, dependent on Brady making really good downfield throws, very much the opposite of Brady's career where it's just a lot of boom or bust. Are you making great throws or are you not? And that's how the offense is going to move. There's not all the stuff in between. Um, there's not enough play action. There's not enough open intermediate throws, all that stuff. So I think Tampa Bay needs to make an adjustment offensively. And I want to see if Green Bay can keep this going because this isn't really Matt LaFleur's career. He hasn't been an elite play caller. His offenses haven't had elite play calling tendencies, and they do this year. Yeah, but – the stuff that's changed isn't something I imagine you just stop doing one week, you know, like they've become one of the most, um, they've, u- they've become a team that uses motion and bunch formations and stack releases and those kinds of things more than most teams in the NFL. Like that isn't something that you just act, you know, luck into by a skew of plays that you call. It's like a conscious decision that, Hey, all these things that we weren't doing, the low hanging fruit that we were leaving on the tree, we're just going to start picking it up because yeah. why wouldn't you? Right, And the reason potentially that they didn't before is because Rodgers just didn't like that. If he's decided that, you know what, it's worth it, it may make me a little bit uncomfortable, but like it's a net win because look at all the free plays we get, Right. then I don't, I, why, would it go, why would it stop? Why would they stop doing that midway through the season? And that's what, like to me, this Aaron Rodgers, it changes the balance of power in the NFL from what we thought it was heading into the season, right? We weren't really considering Green Bay one of the very best teams. I know they went 13-3, and three, but there was a sense that they overachieved last year, and when they went up against a legit team, as in one of the very best, the 49ers, they just got annihilated, right? Right. And they had multiple games where they could not move the ball and they scored 10 points. Right. So there was this feeling that, well, look, they, they then went out and didn't get better, right? Everything about their draft was centered around the future, not necessarily about now. Right. Um, and so why would they be a dominant force in 2020? But they are because the two things that changed are they they schemed up the offense and actually took advantage of all the free things that everyone else does. And oh, by the way, the greatest of all time quarterback that you have when he's playing at his best is going to be back at that level this season. The guy that you thought wasn't there anymore, turns out he is, and he might be pissed now because you just drafted his replacement. So those things make the Packers like one of the best teams in the NFL, if not the best team in the NFL. And that's I don't think that's disappearing like there's some problems with this roster there's problems with every roster but those two things represent a fundamental shift damn it fundamental I did it somebody is that you're using fundamental that's the one one this week no more I've turned into a um like a teenage girl saying like all the time okay they represent a foundational shift in what the Packers are capable of this season well done thank you a lot of our analysis is Here's what's happening through four or five weeks. Will that continue? My question is on Aaron Rodgers, playing at a 96.3 PFF grade level. Is this an awesome four-game stretch, or he has to regress? I'm the only quarterback with no turnover-worthy plays. His accuracy is at, just ball location-wise, it's at the best level we've seen since we started tracking it. It's not even close. His short area accuracy the last couple of years wasn't great. He hasn't been the the greatest catch and run, put it on the front number. All of that stuff is fantastic this year. 
plus that confidence level where it just you just you I'll make that throw. He'll just make any throw and, and execute it. Can he keep that up? I don't see a reason why he can. All right, so they're winning the Super Bowl. Sure. Um, the other big problem with this game, though, or the big problem with this game is, like we've been talking about, Tom Brady last year wasn't a fair reflection of what Tom Brady can be because no receivers in New England made the offensive line worse, blah, blah, right? Uh, he's in the same situation now with Tampa Bay. They have a lot of talent at receiver, but they're all injured. Do you want their questionable list? It's it's everybody. It's all of his receivers. Yeah. Um, I think they I – mean, I don't think they've had all those – Mike Evans – they all played together week one, and Mike Evans was limping through with a hamstring injury. So they really haven't had full strength, everybody. Yeah. I do think this offense, even though I was saying, hey, you know, maybe they're too dependent on the downfield passing attack. If it's Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, there's no more O.J. Howard, but you've got Gronk and Brait at tight end and Scotty Miller. Mm-hmm. I think they're they're formidable, right? And Brady's playing well enough that they're Tyler Johnson making a couple of plays. Tyler Johnson did make some plays. He's yeah, still you, there. Could, you could tell he's like a little off and looks like a rookie at times, but you could see the skill level yeah. too. Um, I think they'll be okay, um, but yeah, Chris Godwin's health coming off of uh, first a concussion, then a hamstring. Mike Evans coming off of a hamstring and an ankle. I, it's it's adding up. And Gronk just you know the Bucks feel like a career. team that might be really really good in the postseason, but they're like. You know what I mean? Like a team that's yeah. going to deal with injuries for like 10 weeks. And if they can just cling on and be in position to be, you know, not sunk uh, 10 weeks into the season, then you're going to get everybody healthy. And suddenly this thing's going to be cooking on gas. And you actually have to really worry about this potential wildcard team that can run the table and, you know, beat everybody in the playoffs. What is your problem? What is this? This, uh, this is the Cincinnati skyline with the, the Paul Brown Stadium. Where, where are our headshots? I, I, I think Tyler screwed us. Has someone not seen the rider? I need my headshots. Either that or uh, David being in the building. Thank you. This is unacceptable. Four interns are getting fired here today. For no anybody headshots. listening, this is all meaningless, but our headshots on the studio weren't, weren't where they should be. So we've just we've made the adjustment and everything is right with the world now. Also, disclaimer, no interns were actually harmed during this show. Nice. They you will you not make be a good terms and conditions guy. Well, you'll see. You should, you should see if, we, if that gig's open. I heard the Chris Collinsworth podcast needs a better terms and conditions guy. So a better I'm, one. I'm gonna wow. throw him a, I, don't I think, thought he was very good. I don't. Man, George did a good, nice job. I think he could be better. Okay. Well, a lot of inside baseball there. So Green Bay favored by one at Tampa Bay. What are your thoughts? Where are you going so, on this one? This felt like I, I think the line has moved in Green Bay's direction. Um, this felt like one where I think people were potentially under uh, un- overlooking. Overlooking Tampa Bay based off the struggles against Chicago. The Bears game. Right. But everybody's hurt. So like, it, what think, you gain in terms of, well, they might, they're not as bad as that. I think you lose in the fact that everybody is still injured. And he's, like, again, like Tom Brady's problem is that he can't, he can't be the transcendent quarterback that he once was anymore, right? In the same way that Phillip Rivers needs help from the offensive line and Ben Roethlisberger needs to be more of a game manager, Tom Brady cannot raise the tide around him and make all the ships float. He needs help, and he doesn't have help at the moment. So later in the year, I think we're going to be talking about the Bucs as a really good team. Right now, Brady doesn't have the help he needs. I think... Also, we can't remember how many downs there are. That was weird. I th- he's even making fun of himself on social media, which is great. I think Godwin and Evans will be okay. Scott, I think they're all going to play, and they're going to be okay. I th- I'm expecting a shootout. I think people are sleeping on the Bucs just a little bit because it wasn't... It was just... They got up early against the Bears, and then... Got stopped. Got stopped. 
I think it's a good one. I would lean Green Bay because of the way Rodgers is playing, because of yep. all of the improvements that they've made. I think we're talking shootout in Tampa Bay here, though, with NFC playoff ramifications. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be awesome. NFC Central. NFC Central heating up. And this is this feels much better with the headshots yeah. in the back. This is how it should be now. Thank we're you. good. All right, let's get through the rest of the games here. Arizona Cardinals at the Dallas Cowboys. I'll flip back to the other one there. Uh, Cowboys, Andy Dalton taking over. This is Monday Night Football. It was supposed to be Kyler versus Dak. Repeat what we said the other day, right? I mean, Dalton, Dalton's capable. You got some guys to throw to. I think Dallas's offense is going to move the ball and be okay, yeah? Yes. As, as, even though Dak's better than Dalton. Let's just put all that out there. Right. That's an important caveat to put up front. Dak Prescott is a better quarterback than Andy Dalton. That being said... Andy Dalton is two things. One is a capable starting NFL quarterback, not a capable backup. He's actually a capable starter. Like it's not, you know, it's not a problem having Andy Dalton as your starting quarterback in the way it is if you have <sighs> Brett Rippon as your starting quarterback. Whatever, pick a random guy that just isn't starting caliber, right? He's actually well capable of that. Two, he's also a quarterback that has a history of playing really quite well if you give him an elite receiving core. And the Dallas group that he has right now might be the best group he's ever had. Some numbers. Oh, nice. Dalton has only had one year where his receiving core ranked inside the top 10. It was the 2015 season that I always reference. Drink now, PFF podcast. Uh, They ranked second. Every other year, they were 10th or worst. Mm -hmm. And this year, Dallas is ranked third as far as just pure receiving grade. So there's some, some synergy there with what we saw from Dalton's that season yeah so again this might be the best receiving core he's had if i think it is so i think dalton is capable of playing as a top half nfl quarterback and remember like he he's the guy that um he won the game for them right they came in he delivered some great passes michael gallup down the sideline made the play and they won the game essentially because andy dalton didn't play like a disaster right so i don't see any reason why he can't continue to play at that high level the offensive line, I think, is an issue, but here's a data point, right? Yes, I love data points. Excellent. Andy Dalton, every single season of his career before this one, has averaged a faster time to throw than Dak Prescott was averaging this year before he went down hurt. That is good. So, right, Dalton doesn't have the athleticism that Dak had, though, frankly, he's not an immobile quarterback, but he will get rid of the ball quicker than Dak Prescott did, right? So... At the minimum, I think you say it's a wash on terms of his effect on the offensive line. If you're looking optimistically at it, I think you could say Dalton will actually help this offensive line look a little bit better by getting rid of the ball quickly. And he'll have a better shot at doing that because the receivers are so good. So I think the offense is going to be good. It's still going to be putting up points. You just have to hope for their sake that they don't take this as an opportunity to go, oh man, we got no quarterback now. We got to load up Zeke. First and second down, every down, he's going to be carrying the ball. Run, run, pass. I hope for his sake that isn't what happens. I trust that the people in that building are, you know, sound enough in terms of analytical knowledge and just general football sense to know that's not what should happen. The big concern for Dallas is still the defense can't stop anybody. I just want to add some perspective on the non-binary nature of quarterbacks and quarterback rankings, right? If we were ranking quarterbacks right now, as you said, and I said, we'd put Dak over Dalton. But as recently as 2017, what are you smiling at? <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> it's just, just Tyler heckling just us bad, with images. It's just bad radio getting uh, 
heckled over here. Yeah. As recently as 2017. Yes. Andy Dalton's overall PFF grade, 72.7. Dak was 72.2. They were one ranking away from each other just in pure PFF grades. In 2018, Dalton actually outgraded Dak. Ooh. Now, in recent time, 2019, Dak far outperformed Dalton last year. We'll see what happens this year. My point is, even though you would say, Dak, is he QB 8, 9, 10 in the league right now? Dalton, you'd say he's 20, 21, 22. Like right. In a vacuum, in any given season, with supporting cast help and all that stuff, that can move. So I don't think it's a disastrous drop-off for Dallas. They should not... I wouldn't even change anything game plan-wise. No. Other right. than a couple... You know, even, even like a... It's not like they use Dak as a runner. Right. He, he has a keeper every now and again. Dalton's capable of doing that. He did it at TCU all the time. So... I don't know. This I think is Dallas why, moved the ball. It is the defense that will that it'll come down to. And this is why you sign Andy Dalton. Yeah, right? it's, it's great. It's, it's this a good move. specific scenario. You lose Dak Prescott to a horrible injury. Heart goes out to him. Everybody's gutted. On the other hand, you have a quarterback that can step into this role and look good, right? Yep. Before the season, there was a minority of people, and you know, as ridiculous as this as this is, there were a, a minority of people that were saying, well, "Look, just don't pay him." You've got Andy Dalton. He can execute this offense. Look yeah. at that. We've got a great group of receivers. We have an analytics coach now. We've got great play calling. We've got an offensive line that's good. Okay, the offensive line fell apart. But, you know, there's a group of people that, that were like, well, there's Andy Dalton can do this as well as Dak. Now, I think that was crazy. But the point is, it's like that. The fact that that minority of people existed shows how close the conversation is, which is not like, oh, well, the season's sunk now that we've got no quarterback right you actually still do and the thing that's going to determine this game is like has your defense figured out how to stop anybody yet because you haven't so far now you're facing kylo murray and the cardinals and if you can't stop them you're gonna have problems i'm looking forward to this if arizona by a one and a half uh at hammer dallas at dallas hammer it you're all in on dallas see hammer. i don't think this is an overreaction because if they were overreacting to dalton i think it'd be arizona by even more than that but you're say, still saying all in on Dallas. Huh? Yep. I can't trust that defense. Hammer it. Uh, I'll, I'll take Dallas too. Look Did at you, you talking know into that it. four NFL players had nine total pressures last week to lead the league? And Dallas had two of them. Really? Yep. Demarcus Lawrence and Alden Smith. Yeah, that's playing the Giants. Yes. Because Daniel Jones was under pressure 60% of his dropbacks mm -hmm. last week. But my point is that, all right, the defense is still garb but they've got some pass rushers and arizona doesn't have a great offensive line like you can get after the cardinals and cause them some problems up front now whether it matters if you can like patch up the back end which was you know like the jets had that problem right is that like, Murray just heaves the ball deep to new compkins and you don't have anybody that can cover that in the back end you're going to give up a touchdown but my point is that look there's all the way along like there is talent on this dallas defense they should not be as bad as they have been like at some point we... they'll, they'll get better yeah they will get better they play they've played a, a rough stretch um until the giants but they've played a rough stretch early on they will get better defensively i'll take dallas as well let's go to this atlanta minnesota game the falcons here's my analysis okay interim coach spark oh, come on that's it Don't give me that crap listen if you could go beached whale dead whale exploding whale theory uh-huh I can go interim coach bar. As, as soon as a coach, if they fire Adam Gase tomorrow, I'm picking the Jets the next week. That's just the reality of it. You are out of your mind. That's how we do it here at PFF. Interim coach spark. Okay.
Um, the this, th- this game was way more intriguing before the season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm curious to see. This is an interesting game because this is one of those fascinating matchups where if you're the Vikings, the way to win is doing the exact opposite thing to the thing you want to do right? I'm always fascinated by those games, right? To see whether the team yeah. goes out there and takes that bait or whether they go, nope, we do our thing and we don't react to, you know, the actual way to win the game. Because this is the fundamental difference between Bill Belichick and regular humans is that Belichick will take the, the path of least resistance every single time, regardless of what that is, because that's the easiest way of winning the game. But there are other people out there that are like, well, we do this. We want to win the game, executing our game plan. And we believe that if we execute better, we'll win. So this game, the Falcons are the only team in the NFL that are giving up a higher passer rating on passes than Dallas. They're giving up like 125 or something insane on passes that get in the air. Making opposing quarterbacks, you know, the best quarterback of all time. Yeah, essentially. That's good. The Vikings don't want to air the ball out. Now, they will for stretches. We saw them do it the first drive or so against Seattle before they went back to run heavy, you know, Dalvin Cook all day. Dalvin Cook questionable with that whatever they called it an adductor or something oh not the groin yeah so the inside one not the outside one i don't know enough about either of those two sure things. the abductor yeah the well either the adductor or the abductor oh, ad- one of them is inside one of them is outside and i, I whatever anyway question saying cook groin yeah that's probably the easier way of presenting thanks, it thanks doctor but I'm curious to see if the Vikings go, well, this is clearly the way to beat this defense that can't cover anybody. Let's air it out with Kirk to Jefferson to Thielen and just put the ball in the air all day long because this is the way to win. Yeah, I could I could definitely see that. But the spark that the Falcons are going to have, wait, wait till you see that defense turn things around. I'm, I'm under the impression that they just have to be better than they've been. Matt Ryan has to be better. They all have to be better. Well, uh, yeah. Because if they're not, they, they, they're in trouble. They I'm suck. taking Atlanta. Okay. You think Matt Ryan bounces back? He's the one to me that I can see some sort of bounce back from because he's played kind of crappy he this has. year. He's got one grade above 70, and it was week one. He's, a, he's away, but in a dome. Yes. Protected by the indoors. They should open the windows. Ooh, that would really mess with him. <laughs> it is, it's interesting because he's got a ridiculous amount of dead money, Yeah, but he would be... This is the thing. Everyone's looking for, like, oh, the trade destinations for Matt Ryan. They can't trade him. But that would be a great decision that needs to be made. You know, do you do you build around Matt Ryan? Is he still at that baseline? We don't know. Like, basically, Enough. don't have a choice. They, they don't no, have I an know, option but, to get rid of him. But long term, you can have a year of Matt Ryan and then, you know, keep searching beyond that. I mean, I think they're in a position where you have to basically rebuild knowing he's your quarterback and then start having an eye on who he can be the bridge to. You know yeah. what I mean? But you're not like you don't. Somebody else is not starting a quarterback for the Falcons in 2021. Let me bring up something else really quick, though. We just saw you. We see we see Drew Brees and Tom Brady maybe bucking the trend of of QB age. Yeah. Is it really them being special? Right. Or is it the trend would be the Matt Ryan? This is the point Matthew I made. Stafford. This is the Eli point I was making last year. Is yeah. that Eli is at the age where quarterbacks used to be done? Yeah, and but, Ryan's not there. He's still a few years behind. But he's thirty-five Eli. now. Again, yeah, but they're at the. But it's the, the point cutoff. they were like last yeah. year or whatever. You know, they they're they've reached that age, like where quarterbacks used to be done. Right, thirty-five-year-old right. quarterbacks used to be toast. Now it's like thirty-five. He's got another ten years left. I I don't know if that's the case for all of them. I mean, I assume. 
advances in you know f- recovery, physical therapy, nutrition, the avocado that diet from Brady, mm, yeah, avocado ice know, cream, the, the avocado big, ice big cream, and the water has to attack on another four years or whatever. Water is a super drug. So I'm assuming there's a bunch of people that like across the board the baseline has gone up. On the other hand, there's probably a bunch that like when you hit 35, that's when shit stops working on your body just generally, and you're not you're not going to be the guy you were anymore. All right, where are you going in this game? Uh, Minnesota. I'm going to take Atlanta. Minnesota by four. Ooh. So Vegas believes in the the Vikings by, you know, similar teams, but significant amount. I don't know that I love them to cover, but I think they'll win. Let's go to Baltimore and Philadelphia. We are going to preview the Eagles this week. We skipped it last week. Okay. That yeah, Steelers, we did. We, was my, my bad. Uh, this has Ravens by seven and a half. I could see this one being closer. This is another one of those where I, I, I expect the Eagles to look better week after week. I'm expecting that to happen. Yeah. Wentz played way better. He, he ended up with a passer rating of 74, and I wrote this in my article this week. He was the guy that I highlight one guy a week or sometimes two guys a week who graded better than their stats and tried to explain it. He was two passes away from his passer rating going from 74 to 105. Yeah. He had a miscommunication interception and threw an absolute bomb in the end zone that ended up going through John T- Hightower's hands. Literally, those two passes flip his passer rating by like 35 points. Right. So he played better last week. My concern with Baltimore is their identity that we thought that they had from last year is just not there right now. They're not this run-first team. They had twice as many passes as runs, you know, three-quarters of the way through the game against the Bengals. Lamar is not playing at the same level. Why do you think that was in that game Last week specifically? Yeah. I, I don't know because you – I don't know. I mean, you would look at the Bengals' defensive front and say, we're going to – we're going to beat you up. Do you buy in to the theory that, all right, you're Baltimore. You just got waxed against Kansas City. You can't, you've, you were proven again. They're practicing. You were proven again that when um, you're forced to play from behind and you're forced to essentially abandon your run heavy system and chase a game, you suck, right? I buy that. I do so buy that. You yes. roll into a game against, against Cincinnati. You effectively know there is no conceivable way you lose this game. So it's a free scrimmage. You get to say, all right, what happens? Let's practice our pass-heavy attack because apparently that's our limiting factor right now. So just, well, we're not going to run the ball against Cincinnati. Like, we're going to play as if we're behind 14 points and see how it goes. There, there's a more tactful way of saying that, but I could see that being said. Right. They didn't go in and say, hey, guys, it's a free scrimmage, but I do think but I could see the, them yeah, saying... That's the theory. We're going to work on the pass game a little bit more or now, attack the big, with the pass game yeah their big problem is that even against cincinnati it didn't look good yeah but i also i also don't see them again last year their rushing attack would have ranked seventh among passing attacks as far as efficiency as great as they were last year and it's still having lamar there that had to regress and it has and they they're not blocking as well up front and you know maybe they miss a little marshall yonda and all that stuff yeah but they're not the same team whether they're purposely trying to put the ball in Lamar's hands more or whatever it is. But I said this after week one. They didn't run the ball well against the Browns. Lamar just made three or four big-time throws. And the reason why I use big-time throws all the time is when, it's like 80% of the time on a drive where there's a big-time throw, there's a score, right? I mean, it's just, it, it flips the field, Sam. Mm-hmm. So if you have four in a game, you're not automatically going to score, but it's, it's, it increases your chances of scoring a ton. But it's, it's a, it's a high-risk style of play. Yep. That's what I feel like they've been doing this year. If Lamar makes four great throws a game, 
will be okay. That is the opposite of what they did last year. It is different this year. Yeah. I mean, it's worth pointing out that Lamar was not 100% last week. So true. when he's such an true. integral part of the run game, it's probably going to affect it. The fact that like, if he's not 100% and can't do what he usually does, Good you point. can't necessarily call the same plays. On the other hand, he was still running around, you know, getting battered. Like he was, It's not like he was ha you know, hobbled and... He, was he didn't over look refs right. And he everything. didn't look like Jimmy Garoppolo back there. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't like this guy can't do anything. He was out there running around. So I, I don't know that I buy that completely. You're right though. Like Baltimore, I think Marshall Yanda is a huge part of this. Like we've talked before about everyone. You know, Le'Veon Bell. Right? Is Le'Veon Bell done with the Jets, or was he just like? He went from looking like the best running back in the NFL in Pittsburgh to looking yeah. like a, a guy that's just washed up and a waste of space with the Jets. And the truth is, obviously, he's somewhere in the middle because running backs are effectively a product of their environment. Right. And he went from maybe the best running back environment in the league in Pittsburgh to maybe the worst in the Jets, right? And coincidentally, that's exactly how he looked. So obviously, in any other environment, it sits somewhere in the middle. He'll look somewhere in the middle. But you remove like one of the best run blocking players in the NFL and replace him with a guy who isn't and really isn't, and it massively impacts what those guys do. And, and they're still good, you know. They're still top ten from a run blocking standpoint. It's just not the same as it was, and I don't know that it could be. The two things that were tough to duplicate last from last year, they had the number three run blocking grade last year. They're they're number seven this year. Whatever. The two things that were tough to duplicate was the efficiency of the run game and how often they just converted fourth downs just those regressions alone made it i think more of a challenge for the ravens this year even with the 2000 ravens defense on the other side um so i think it's i like philadelphia to keep it close but maybe this is me i said the same thing last week i didn't think baltimore would blow out the bengals and ultimately they did but i'll take baltimore to win maybe not cover the seven and i believe was your turn. unblowoutable mm -hmm. for the bengals turns out not so much uh, I so they are. the big thing from this from last week I think was Carson Wentz looking fixed right yeah not perfect there was bad play in there as well but this was by far the best PFF grade of his season and the previous best was the week before where he had half a good game right so that's now essentially six reasonable quarters in a row wow how the standards have changed right i mean i'm not saying it's great right but that's at least we were talking about i don't know how you fix this it's a slump. I, I said it's a slump right. come out of it like how do you have a hard reset on a guy that looks completely lost midway through the season he seemed to get it like halfway through the 49ers game and he's been a different quarterback from that all, point on all that said his game ending interception was a sure yeah i'm, like, I'm not saying it was perfect i'm I just know, saying okay. that like he went from a guy that i why can't he throw a ball anymore to all right this is Carson Wentz like this is who he is like he'll make some mistakes but fundamentally he's a pretty good quarterback who can make some plays though that's that's a fairly different standard yeah. you know what I mean so at least you're looking at a guy now that's capable of leading this team to wins the problem is now you're going up against this Baltimore defense that causes all kinds of problems for most teams let alone teams with offensive lines that are decimated by injury dealing you know what I mean there's a yeah. lot of problems that the Eagles now have to overcome that Baltimore is going to throw at you. So I think even though I, I said last week that, look, they lost the game, but I still think that was an optimistic result for the Eagles because Carson Wentz looks different. I think a similar thing might happen this week where they lose and it might not even be that close. But as long as Carson Wentz doesn't go back in the tank, it's still in the, in the NFC East where you're never out of it. It's still good. So I think the Eagles are blowoutable. Wouldn't be surprised if that happens. I just think they'll play a tougher game this week. So I'll take the – I think the Eagles cover Baltimore wins.
Los Angeles Rams at the San Francisco 49ers. The Niners, man, two and three, creeping the wrong way from average. And I told you the stat. They are winless at home, and the only games they've won this season have come in New Jersey. Yeah, that's bad. Isn't it? Against the two teams that are winless. out in New Jersey. Yeah. I, I think, you know, this division matchup, it was a great one last year. The Rams, the last time they played, were like scared to death of this 49ers defensive line. They rolled out Jared Goff every other play. It was all rollouts and screens. It was most most passes outside the pocket we've seen in years, literally. Um, so I don't think they'll be as scared. I love the way the Rams offense is moving the ball this year. And I don't love the way the Niners have regressed defensively. And no. you know, they're banged up. So yeah. I'm liking the Rams. It, Vegas has Rams by three and a half on the road here. Yeah, I think I'm kind of coming to the conclusion that the 49ers just might not be very good at the moment until they get some healthy players back. I mean, Garoppolo is obviously an interesting thing. Like, he can't play when he's hobbled the way he was last week. So what do you do? Like, did a week get him back? Well, plus, he... the rec- they just got Debo back last know, year, and Ayuk's getting into the mix. Like, they, is they he healthy? Improve. Is he healthy now? Or yeah. is he just instead of 65% healthy, is he now 75% healthy, which is still not good enough? Um, because if he is like that's a tough spot they're in like you have a quarterback that you know doesn't play well if he's busted up but you also just watch his backup shit the bed against the Eagles to the point where you had to bring in C.J. Beathard and now you saw what happened when C.J. Beathard comes in against a decent team that's bad as well so you went from like having a great quarterback situation to having there might not be a good answer here against the Rams Um, so yeah I think the 49ers might just not be great until everyone gets healthy and the Rams seem to be quite good therefore they win so you're taking the Rams? Yes. They're going to cover? Uh, three and a half. Yes. All right. I'll take the Rams as well and to cover. Denver Broncos at New England Patriots. This moved from week five to week six. Mm-hmm. New England by 10 as of right now. I'm going to stick with my initial point on the Patriots. I think our take on them is just going to you know, fluctuate based off their schedule. Yeah. They're, when they play good teams, it's, I think it's the way I describe the Browns. You know, when they play good teams, I don't know if they're going to win. You know, they might sneak one out. I just I don't know if they're good enough to beat some of, of the better cutting, teams. Cutting edge insight you get in the PFF podcast. That's it. They face some good teams. They might not win They the can game. beat bad teams, but not good teams. Does Denver have a shot here? Uh, I don't really see one. I mean, the quarterback situation they have is rough. The Patriots should have people back. I, this, I mean, it's a 10-point line in New England's favor, and it's hard to argue with that. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about New England wins this. They play the banged-up Niners the next week, and then they've got that matchup with the Bills on November 1st. It's in, in that Bills might have a couple losses by then. We're looking at the AFC East, you know, being this New England versus Buffalo here. Um, I want to see what Cam Newton looks like coming back. Yeah. We've had one great, one bad, and one mediocre game from mm-hmm. him. And a lot of what New England does is going to predi- be predicated on his performance, I think, throughout the year because he's the quarterback. I'd also like to see whether Jerry Judy can still do magic with his route running against, you know, really good DBs. That'll be a good coach's film to watch yeah. after the fact. Judy against uh, all these corners. I'm taking New England. I think they cover too. Drew Locke coming back against uh, Belichick. Yeah. I think I still think Locke's limited, man. He's got the lowest passing grade, 10 plus yards. Also, I mean, that was supposed to keep him out for like six to eight weeks. How healthy can he be? He's definitely back, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. No, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you that he's coming oh, back. I'm sure. just saying that, like, that, is that like a Baker Mayfield thing where I'm sure he's medically cleared? Yeah, but I think he'll be all right. Is he actually going to be playing half decent? Like, that's that can't – he can't be 100% healthy is what I'm saying. But he's he's the poster boy for me. Like, is he capable of being a franchise quarterback? Yes, but in today's NFL, 
do you really want QB 24 as the guy that you're building or 28 or whatever his number is? I don't know. Well, it's also like, how long do you want to suffer through the bad until you until that comes true, right? It's, so it's the Josh Allen thing, right? How many years of, of the first Josh Allen are you prepared to live through before you get the guy that we got for four games this year? And I don't have, I don't, I'm not decreeing either way. I don't have an answer to that, but that's, that's, that's yeah. now a question for these teams. Like baseline, uh, average to crappy play is really easy to achieve now. Right. So how long do you want to suffer through really bad because you might get amazing at the other end of it? Right. It's a fair question. The other test for Drew coming back. Chicago Bears at the Carolina Panthers. Look at those Panthers favored by one and a half. Right. Did we underrate them? Yeah. Everyone underrated them. I mean, people were talking about them as a potential number one overall pick team, and they're not. I mean, they're way better than that, it turns out. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't have a problem saying that everyone underrated them. Matt Rule got them moving in the right direction. I love Great the game. offensive pieces. Um, I'm going to hate picking Bears games every single week. Yeah. Because of the Foles. Yep. Uh, shout out to our guys on the Twitter timeline. Man, I don't have his Twitter handle, but he did a really nice job of putting some he did some ah together and some stats. He and was one of those guys that's like he was showing Bears analytics or something. You yeah, know, there's like one analytics dude for every team. But he, he doesn't have an guy. avatar, so I don't know if he's like official Bears analytics guy. Okay, right. No, um, shout out to him. He just did a really nice job. It was essentially here's how varied quarterbacks are from game to game. Yeah, and the best quarterbacks are generally you know Breeze and Brady were kind of like this. I think, you know, Rodgers, they were tighter. He put Foles was all yeah, over the place. He put like vi data visualization to the point we've been making, which is the Foles is maybe the most high variance quarterback week to week in the NFL. Yeah. He basically proved that in a graph, which was nice. I mean, I proved it by just saying he has a bunch of 40 grades and he has a bunch of 90 grades. Yeah, but he <laughs> made, it, he made it look pretty. He did make it look pretty. So I'm impressed. I'm going to hate picking these Bears games every single week, but I'm picking the Bears to win in this one and obviously cover same um i'm also curious to see if teddy can maintain good play against good defense that's going to be intriguing yeah khalil mack still playing at a really high level watch him play football houston texans at the tennessee titans now this is two weeks removed from the interim coach bump mm. i am a believer that the texans are better than they've showed no benardrick mckinney in the middle now that hurts the linebackers have to play better for the texans linebackers have to play well um when you play the titans because you got a lot of times you have to try to tackle Derrick Henry, and sometimes he throws you to the ground. Yeah. Tennessee by three. I like Houston maybe to to do some damage here. Huh. I'll pick Tennessee, I think, but like I'm Houston's better than they've showed. They'll make this a good one. So I believe that that's true, that Houston are better than they've shown this season. On the other hand, I also believe that they have a bitch of a schedule for both the start of the season and the rest of the season. Like, okay, they got Jacksonville last week, and that's enough to overcome that, and you can look good again. But the rest of this, like, it, it's not like they get through the first five weeks and their schedule becomes a cupcake and everything's good again, right? True. Like, the, the Texans still have, like, a top five most difficult schedule down the rest of the season. So if that's the reason, it's like, well, how could you possibly win these games? We're going up against some really good teams. You're facing a bunch more really good teams. It's not going easy. It's not going away. It's not getting dramatically easier. So they're going to face the Titans, who it turns out are a pretty good team, and they're going to lose again. That's it? Yeah. Tennessee started to look like last year's team. Tannehill, accurate, all over the place, 90-plus PFF grade, highest grade of any quarterback. Was it just the A.J. Brown factor? Is it just having A.J. Brown back I mean, there? That certainly helps, right? They are tough to defend because he can win everywhere. 
and you know they know how to stretch the field with play action a little bit of run game with derrick henry i'll take tennessee to win but man houston they'll bounce back a little bit they're gonna play a little bit better nope and then in the coming weeks detroit lions at the jacksonville jaguars man the lions are didn't play last week underachieved the first few weeks when are they going to turn this is the week they turn it around against the jacks favored by three yeah that'll certainly i mean it's certainly possible um i'm the problem with the lions is i'm really interested to see if so Minshew hasn't been playing well the last few weeks right right we just about bought into this idea that maybe he's better than you know untankable um maybe he's not but if you're going to get back on track it's against defense you know exactly what you're seeing every single time you go out there right like it, playing man coverage constantly has its benefits but it also basically telegraphs exactly what you're playing and shows a quarterback where to go with the ball and that's half the battle is knowing where you're going with the football getting it there is the next half so i'm interested to see if Minshew can actually get himself on track now that he knows what he's going to be facing now it didn't help him against miami who do a similar kind of thing but he didn't have his receivers that game so yeah we've right now questionable lavisca chenault tyler eifert dj chark yes but before it was like chris conley is your only receiver right have fun with that i'm gonna just watch lavisca chenault every week because he's fun he is and i think i think the jags you know if you're a jags fan you're just looking at these these building blocks watching the building blocks every week who's gonna be a part of the rebuild and for detroit this is make it or break it time for Matt Patricia. Yeah. I think their offense plays closer to the level that we expected coming in with Stafford and all those receivers and Hawkinson bouncing back and having a big game. I like Detroit to win and cover the three. Since the dam has been broken now, I think this is a week that could see some people fired. In Detroit? In the NFL. Oh. Speaking of potentially getting there are fired. two games that could result in firings if they break the right way. Are we going to the Jets next? Is that your segue? No, well, we can if you like, but that's the other one, yeah. Let's just go to the Jets at Miami. <laughs> Ryan Fitzpatrick just continues. It's like he hears the Tua whispers. Yeah. I heard you talking about Tua. I'm just Not on my ball. watch, son. I am going to ball out. I heard you talk about Jameis coming back from suspension. Well, have you ever seen back-to-back 95 grades ever? Like I put up here in 2018, that's what he does. Yeah. Oh, I heard, you know, you guys want to tank last year. Nope. Nuh-uh. Not on my watch. I'm Fitzpatrick. It's funny because he now, like, usually the problem is that you want to sit the quarterback, the young quarterback, give him the whole year, and the guy in front of him plays so badly that you're basically forced to put him in, even though that wasn't the plan. Fitzpatrick is probably doing the opposite, which is at some point the plan would have been to put Tua in. And yet you almost can't find a way of making that happen as long as Fitzpatrick is playing this well. And you're almost left saying, well, God, do we just have to throw him in? Even though, like, do we just have to bench a quarterback that's playing really well because we have this first-round pick and all the other first-round picks are playing pretty well and we need to see what we have in Tua? Or do they sort of take this as a potential gift that it is and say, screw it, he's getting a redshirt rookie year. Fitzpatrick is playing well. It gives us the rare luxury of being able to sit Tua for an entire season, particularly given he's coming off that disastrous injury. I will um, say, I don't, and just we don't let know. Him develop. Yeah, sorry. We don't know if sitting up quarterback is actually better or right. not. And you can go back through the years and say, well, Tom Brady sat a year yeah. and Breeze sat a year. There's a lot of good players that sat. Culpepper. Culpepper. Uh, Carson Palmer yep. legitimately sat the whole, the, whole, year. the whole year. 
and then on the other hand, well, Peyton Manning got thrown right in, right. or whoever Aaron Rodgers sat. I mean, mm -hmm. you just go back and forth. Who would, great quarterbacks did both. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world for Tua to sit the whole year. I don't. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, I don't I'm, think I'm, I'm, I want to see him play, but I don't, I don't think, think there's the a scenario whereby sitting makes you worse, right? I right. can see a scenario whereby playing makes you worse. I, well, I, I think fundamentally, if you're going to be good, you're probably going to be good either way. But I, there's no downside to me in sitting other than like you miss out on, you know, eight games of him actually being really good if he is really good. But you're already getting that yeah. with Fitzpatrick. But you don't like this isn't even when you want the payout. Or the right. Payoff That's anyway. what I mean. So there's no downside to not I, playing. All I know is wh whatever decision you come to, I just think it comes to all the decision makers sitting down and saying, what is the best for Tua's development? And if they think that development, I said this about every quarterback the last few years, if it is he needs to own the playbook and he doesn't yet, and yeah. once he does, all right, great, he's in. Or if you really think he sits the whole year, great. If you think it's week 13, no matter what, then it's week 13, no matter what, right? I mean, that's that's the the decisions Miami needs to make. But for now, Fitz is aggressive, throwing the ball down the field. He's like leading the team and rushing. He's doing it all Again. and gritty and <laughs> doing some stuff. And he loves yeah. ESPN's QBR because it says he's good. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff in there. And they're nine and a half point favorites. And I think they beat the Jets in his Adam Gase on the hot seat here this week. I mean, yeah, to me, the, the sort of question at this point for the Jets is like, how bad does this get? I mean, they're already on the way to the number one overall pick. Every yeah. bright spot they've had, with the exception of Jamison Crowder, has been missing. You know, Darnold gets hurt. Mackay Becton gets hurt. Like, every good thing that's possible on this roster has been getting banged up anyway. Here's, if you're the Jets, if you're a Jets fan, what are you watching this weekend? Clemson at Georgia Tech, Saturday <laughs> at noon. Same thing your Giants fans are going to be watching. Here's the question you have to ask about Adam Gase. If they have the number one overall pick and you draft Trevor Lawrence, is Adam Gase the guy that you want leading the team with Trevor Lawrence? If he's not, then just do it now. He's taking a really interesting approach to this, which is not playing the game at all in terms of like media and PR and how this is, you know, how the thing is done. He's just like, screw it. I'm here to do a job. I don't give a crap if you don't like how I'm doing it. You know what I mean? Like when, which I think is okay. When, so Le'Veon Bell goes all passive aggressive millennial and starts liking posts about the offense being garbage and not using it, right? Passive aggressive millennial, huh? Yeah. So he, that's how he approached it, right? I compliment millennials later. Reporter in the show. goes out and asks Adam Gase about it. Now, I don't know what the sort of what the actual way of handling that is, but it isn't to like bitch about how yeah, I wish players wouldn't do that and blah, you know, it's such a crappy way of handling it. And then like whatever happened from that point on, Le'Veon Bell is released like twelve hours later. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know what the way of handling that actually is, but I'm relatively certain that isn't it. And um, it, it's just intriguing to me that that's how Gase is deciding to handle this right now, which means one of two things. Either he has like absolute untouchable, unimpeachable job security that he can just do whatever the hell he wants and he they're going to side with him. Or he wants another job. Or he just doesn't care, yeah. right? And he's like, look, I'm here to do a job. If I get fired, I get fired, but I'm going to do it my way and I don't give a crap if anyone thinks it's the right thing to do. I mean, to a point, you should... Sure. Do it your way. and But at some point, you, like, feed into the problem. You know what I mean? Like, if you're just yeah. out there riling people and making them more annoyed, you're not helping the situation. He, he clearly didn't want Le'Veon from year one. Yeah. But. So this is just, we're just in this situation now where this is threatening to spiral out of control pretty quickly. Right. Um, taking Miami to win? Yeah. By a lot? Uh, it's in nine, Miami? I, nine and a half feels rich for the Dolphins. Like, they're still the Dolphins. They're, t they're Miami, tough to predict. Miami fans too. hate us, by the way, because we never see anything good about them. 
here we are. Fitz is yeah, look, Fitz is playing really well. But Devontae still, Parker's awesome. They're not that good a team. And like, Mike Gesicki's having points. a good year. Yeah, he is. There's some positive things about the Dolphins. I, I'll say they'll cover. There's some positive stuff, okay. too. Uh, Washington football team at the New York Giants. Giants fans, noon, Saturday, Clemson <laughs> at Georgia Tech. <laughs> Uh, it's gonna be my shtick every week yeah just citing trevor lawrence's schedule and then when ohio state comes back we'll throw fields in there mm. that's gonna be my shtick just okay. get ready what are you looking for in this one um i i wonder is this gonna be the game that i i get the eight box mix will this be the game that's not one of the eight because if it is i don't know if i'm happy about that i i want to see if daniel jones gets a chance to work you don't care about my direct team no i really don't um behind you know in this game this seems like a game that might actually give him a shot to do something from a viable standpoint previous games he's just the dude is getting buried and i somebody asked me we do these amas on a pff's discord channel you can find that dig into our twitter you get a link to it i have one today yeah well, there you go i've been doing these and somebody asked me like thoughts on daniel jones and honestly i don't know that i have them at the moment i don't know what to make of him right now like he's in that darnell bucket of i don't know that there's a functional outcome behind the current offense you're in right now right but there's obviously still the bad right like what that fumble he had last week was just ridiculous like come on you can't how do you not see that guy closing in on you and even when you didn't see him how do you not have a better like handle on the ball than that in the pocket so you've got this there's bad daniel jones there's good daniel jones and the situation is so bad that i'm not sure good daniel jones is possible to be a sort of encouraging prospect right. But this is a game that you might actually see something from. The answer lies in everything that you just said. Nothing has changed about my perception of Daniel Jones. Yeah, because which I is said, still, I don't know. Out, Nick Folzian product yeah. of his situation and product of, I'm going to take some hits and chuck it up and I don't know what's on the other side of it. It's going to be good. It's going to be bad. And, you know, it's why I didn't apologize to Josh Allen. There are ranges of outcomes with similar levels of play. I don't uh, like quarterbacks that I don't know what they are, though. Yeah, that's that's fifty percent of them in the NFL right now, though. Yeah, I mean, a lot of them. There's a difference between having a range of outcomes but knowing fundamentally what the guy is to there's a range of outcomes and I have no earthly idea what you are. But this is why I said QB is not good. It's not good, bad, ten, fifteen. It's not rankings and it's not binary. It 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 moves. It's, yeah, I know it's fluid. Fluid. Oh man, Clemson at Georgia Tech at noon. I'm taking Washington here. By the way, Chase Young versus Andrew Thomas is the thing I'm looking for. The two rookies, I was more excited about this before Andrew Thomas was grading as poorly as he is. And before Chase Young got hurt. He wasn't quite the same guy. And before, yeah, but, you know, that matchup for the next however long they're they're together. Always looking forward to that. I'll take the Washington team. I'm taking the Giants. To win this. Giants by two and a half in this, huh? How about the Giants being favored? Well, Kyle Allen is a starting quarterback in this game. I don't like. Wretched. Oh, man. I don't like the way the NFL feels so top-heavy right now. <laughs> With the Giants just don't have a chance against some other teams. Yeah. All right, we're wrapping it up. We got one last game here? Yeah. Did we hit everything? The last game, one more. Bengals at Colts. Yeah. little hour and a half, two-hour trip up to Indianapolis. The Colts are favored by eight. Rivers' arm's going to look better. It's indoors. Mm-hmm. Will he bounce back? Will Joe Burrow bounce back? The Burrow bounce back is the one I'm interested in because this is last week was the first game of the season where he was like a big part of the problem, right? Now, it's not true. Like, it was his fault in terms of, dude, that defense was going to kill him, whatever happened. But he made it worse. Like, he didn't, didn't mitigate the issues that were coming his way 
from that Bengals defense or from the Ravens defense <clears throat> added into it and compounded the problem and just blah blah right before <clears throat> he's at least been able to point to the idea that all right I'm just getting killed behind this offensive line I'm doing everything I can it's somebody else's fault now yeah and you know he did the dude does not handle losing well like you can see it really grates on him but this is the first week that he's had that feeling with the addition of knowing that he was like a part of the issue um I, i'm curious to see how he reacts to that like do you does that galvanize him and go oh make him double down really uh increase his work habits over the week and really make sure that he isn't part of the problem next week or does it like fester and he you know just makes things worse and he tries too hard against the colts and starts making even more of those bad plays where he you know tries to do too much runs into a sack and fumbles the ball away that kind of thing so just generally how burrow handles that first unique situation that he's dealt with will be interesting we talked earlier about the the contrast between a ravens defense and the colts defense and now he gets to play them yeah. back-to-back weeks right so you'll have a defense that's going to sit back and you know force you to drive the do actually what borrow does really well is yeah make reads move the ball make good decisions and take chances when needed so i, I still want to see that deep ball come around he made passes last year at lsu that were like 30 yard handoffs putting it right on a dude's helmet uh we haven't really seen that downfield accuracy this year so far so i'm i'm just keeping an eye on that development and then of course the bounce back from philip rivers and that's perfect because we're going to talk about philip rivers right now with will brinson Smooth. aren't we i'm yeah. taking the colts Same. to win i think cincinnati is unblowable so they're going to keep it close and cover the eight point spread so that'll do it for all the game previews will brinson is here he's from nc state he's an he's a philip rivers apologist we recorded this yesterday asked him all about that we got into the year 1994 and all great things that were happening that you know then so let's get to will and get his takes on uh, on everything all right special welcome to will brinson of the pick six podcast cbs sports will how you doing man what's going on guys hope you're uh hope you're doing well love uh love seeing you you guys have been on my podcast so uh, and i think we're supposed to do a home and home again yeah steve, I think so. was, steve was on this year before the season yeah it's tied up now one to one Right, 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 right. Well, Sam was on last year too, and you yeah. guys did, helped with analytical week, and we got all prepped for the season. And now that like COVID is ravaging through the NFL and and and, and giving the Titans motivation to play better, um, <laughs> everything we thought we knew about the season has disappeared in the mall. I, I would posit, by the way, and I know you floated Pete Prisco as a as a possible topic, and I'm not trying to jump ahead here. But, no, no, you set the tone um, here. Whatever you want to talk about. Well, no, I was just going to say that I'm convinced that it's that there's at least a 15 to 20 percent chance that we are in the middle of some sort of um like westworld type simulation and all the things that pete prisco predicted like or like maybe it's like a maybe it's like even like a satanic type of deal sort of thing and all the things that pete predicted like the packers being great and josh allen like taking a huge lead <laughs> it's and all Justin herbert being awesome are magically coming true as as this virus and pandemic rages through the the world and so i think that like i'm probably in a like in a tube asleep somewhere in a laboratory and this is just an elaborate hoax westworld style it, it wow. is a pretty good thought that the only way pete prisco makes sense is if Correct. the entire world is a, is a westworld-esque simulation but, but <laughs> even but even the simulation can't make Christian Hackenberg a steal for the Jets as Pete predicted <laughs> yeah, even that is impossible that's in good. this simulation let's discuss a little Pete because 
we have a lot of fun you know will we our relationship is like we tweet at each other couple dms here and there a couple bro hugs and and handshakes at you know the combine and the super bowl like that's it like that's the media relationship right so we get to run into you and pete a couple times a year and then last year pre-covid we were talking about having a basketball tournament yeah. across podcasts and everything and you had it was going to be you said you can't play right but it was going to be pete and maybe brady quinn for you guys i mean yeah let's, let's well, relive I, I mean, this like, basketball I basically dream. can play basketball but i'm really more of a rebound like rebound foul hustle guy like a like a like somebody that you would see coming in off the you know third string like duke player back in the 90s who would you know slap the floor and try oh, hard but not be like very Wojo, good. that's me but he was a starter so, yeah so we'd bring out brady quinn um i mean I, I mean i guess we would just roll out our athletes you know yeah like brady quinn b mac danny cannell and then wow. and then prisco did I, did, steve did i tell you did i tell you all the story while we're sitting there about pete at the owners meetings yeah let's hear it i want to hear it okay so if i and i mean the podcast audience hadn't heard it either way so pete um we're sitting there it's, a, it's in arizona at the biltmore hotel and we're sitting out at the like there's a little area with a courtyard and like a you know coffee stand or whatever bar or fire pits where people hang out late at night and we're sitting there during the day and it's like me and prisco and a couple other people and pete's sitting there as he always is and like a in a, you know, a, a, a polo shirt and flip-flops. And Mike Garofalo comes walking by in athletic gear. And Pete's like, where are you going? I'm going to go shoot some hoops. He's like, I might come over there and kick your ass. He's like, what are you talking about, you short little tan like, <laughs> groundhog? Like, what, what do you mean? You're going to come over there and like beat me? You're wearing flip-flops. And Pete's like, ah, I might do it. I don't know. And we're like, what is this guy talking about? Pete, like, 10 minutes later, Pete gets up and like goes over to the basketball court and while he's there, he just obliterates Garofalo in basketball, just wearing <laughs> flip-flops and like just casual clothes, just bombing threes over Garofalo and like walks back, the two of them walk back and like Mike's just got his head down and Pete's just grinning ear to ear. And so I, I didn't, it never, things you don't see coming. Like Pete Frisco is a good basketball player. Especially for a guy that was playing high school basketball before there was a three-point line. You know, like <laughs> right. he wasn't even able to take advantage of those skills. I mean, That's he would true. have to be on the, I'm, I'm a, I was assuming it's Pete and Brady Quinn. That would be entering would this hypothetical two-on-two yeah. two tournament. But we already have a plan for Brady. Yes. Right? Yeah. Brady's soft, right? I mean, he's soft. Well, not just soft. He's Mentally. definitely, yeah, he definitely would crumble in the face of trash talk. Right. Wow. So I, I think, know. yeah, I think you we got could him. definitely get in Brady Quinn's head with trash talk. Yeah. Uh, Pete probably Brady. gets better with trash talk. I think we can get in Brady's head, though. So, I'll tell you one more quick story about Pete, too, about trash talking. So uh, a few years ago, Pete and I played golf against two video producers at CBS. And we're at this like TPC course down in Fort Lauderdale. Cause I, you know, went down for a Thursday show and had to stay till Saturday. We, so we went and played Friday and Pete and I are up playing against them. And I'm like, a, I'm like a, you know, bogey, not, I shoot like high eighties. You know, I like, I usually break 90 of a you know, decent golfer, average golfer. Pete's Pete's fine. And we get out there and we're, we're up like 10 strokes on these guys at the turn. And it's all me. Like Pete's playing awful and I'm dialed in. I'm lighting up the front nine. I'm feeling great. I think I shot like a, like a 41 or something like that. You know, playing really well. I look at Pete. I'm like, Hey man, uh, you know, it could use a little help here. You just shot your age. And he goes, okay, that's it. That's it. I'm done. I don't care if you're my teammate. I'm going to spend the entire back nine ruining your life. I'm going to be in your head every shot. I'm going to count every shot. I'm going to walk you back. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's just a friendly little chatter. He spent the entire back nine 
absolutely torturing me. Like every <laughs> shot, he was just poking. He's like, this one's going dead right. Here we go. Here we go. And like, like I, I hit the water twice on this like par three with an island green. And I was like, all right, I'll just take double par. He's like, no, count it. Every shot, every shot. He made me like count a 12 on a par three. He eventually <laughs> beat me. I lost my... I lost it, everything. I like lost my mind on, on 18 and was like threatening to leave him at the golf course and drive back to the hotel and never speak to him again. And like, like, like you can carry your clubs home, get an Uber. I don't care, Pete. I don't want to ever talk to you again. Um, that's how ugly it got on the course. That's Pete. amazing. That's uh, Pete Prisco right yeah. there. Yeah. So you lost. Is the, the, this is I lost. The I, lost I mean, my, he turned on me as my teammate. We <laughs> lost the bet and then I lost straight up to Pete. So like hit, the only goal was to just get into the barn with this 10 stroke lead on the back nine and he <laughs> threw it he's like i don't care about the bet i'm beating you that's all i care about i'm like what are you doing this so is the, insane so we can get pete to trash talk to brady yeah and, and we, carry out our plan and we're good do it all for that's, us that's we don't even need to brilliant. yeah we don't even need to to be the ones giving the trash talk i can't wait for this basketball tournament post-covid world it's well, gonna happen yeah this is the basketball tournament has been the real loser of covid it is. It's yeah. the, it, it got laid by the wayside, and we didn't have any, you know, giant corporate TV sponsor to pick it up and put it in a bubble and, you know, set us all up. Man. We need an Indianapolis bubble. Yes. Yes. Let's, for the combine Combine year. bubble. All right. Let's get working on that. Speaking of Indianapolis, how about that oh, one? Boy. Smooth. As an NC State fan and apologist and Phillip Rivers fan and apologist, your thoughts on Phillip? <laughs> well, um... You know, I'll, I'll say this. I think that Philip Rivers has been uh, not great this year. Is that fair? But I don't think – he hasn't been as good as I think he could have could be this year, but he hasn't been as bad as people make him out to be. He wasn't a disaster I, before the Browns game. He was playing He was playing all right before the Browns game. Yeah, okay. exactly. Like, he had a bad game against the Browns. I think the Browns just might be good, by the way. Um, yeah. And when, like when, I, when I thought the Colts would be successful this year – and predicted them to go very far in the playoffs. It wasn't because I thought Philip Rivers was going to come in and throw for 5,000 passing yards and 50 touchdowns. Like that wasn't ever going to happen. But he knows the offense. You know, they want to run the ball effectively. Losing Marlon Mack hurts, of course, but Jonathan Taylor should be set up for a really nice, uh, you know, final three quarters of the season, I think. He's a very good player. And they have a good offensive line. And I thought they were going to play, you know, some strong defense. And that they're, they have one of the better defenses, I think, in football. Now, We'll find out if that's related to their schedule or if it's, you know, if it's related to the actual personnel. I do think they're legitimate, um, but certainly playing Jacksonville, Minnesota, the Jets and the Bears and, and then the Browns who dropped 32 on them uh, helps. I, I just think I think with Rivers, they're going to get in trouble if and this is what happened in Los Angeles. They're going to get in trouble if he has to play from behind and he has to be the focal point of the entire offense. And and that's that's going to happen some. I mean, you know, they have. They have to play the Ravens. Could happen then. I mean, it, it's 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 entirely possible that that they're going to have some more games like this. But I don't think he's as washed as people want to make it up to be. Like I think, while Drew, if you swap Drew Brees and Philip Rivers, I think that Rivers on the Saints would be a better fit than Brees. Is that fair? Well, I mean, I've I've defended Rivers because I I, I think it's lazy analysis, Sam, to just draw a line in the sand and say somebody's done. Mm. Nobody would do that. Right, but that's the analysis right now. I saw a bad game. He's done. Right, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way for Bree. It works that way for Peyton, but that was and they still won the Super Bowl, by the way. But it rarely works that way. I don't think it's like that for Rivers either. But there's definitely he just feels like he's got to be more protected. And I don't think it's a crazy take that yeah he would have some success with the Saints. But the other day, 
he's been working from this really nice clean pocket for the majority of the season. You take out Anthony Costanzo, and it's like LaRaven Clark's over there trying to block Miles Garrett. It looked a little bit like his Chargers days where he's peeking at the rush. Were you seeing that against the Browns? Absolutely. And look, like I was, I was, I had originally picked the Colts and then flipped back and took the Browns this week because Darius Leonard and Anthony Costanzo were out. Like if you're talking about, you got to block Miles Garrett and you got to stop the Browns from running the football. And if you lose those two guys, good luck doing that. And yeah, I mean, I think that, that again, that was part of it too, is that Rivers comes to Indianapolis and it's not like he's going to step in and elevate a bad offensive line and take bad wide receivers and make them all good. He was going to be elevated at his age with his skill set and his I like I don't think he I don't think we see the drop off like you said Steve with Phil or Philip or Breeze in the way that we saw it with Peyton in 2015. Like it was very clear at the end of 2014 and then throughout all of 2015 that Peyton was shot. Right. And he was just winning entirely with his with his with his mind. And and I think we saw I see I worry about Breeze because we saw a little bit of that I thought on, on Monday night. Yeah, there's some of that with Breeze. He was starting to adjust the yeah. trajectory of his throws because he knows he doesn't have the arm arm strength or the velocity on the ball to get it where it needs to be. Um Rivers the same sort of thing, but I think he's always it it, it look he, to me it doesn't look like he's lost the same amount of velocity. But yes, to your point, Rivers is going to need his offensive line operating well and his pass catchers helping him out and the run game working if he's going to win a lot in Indianapolis. What do you think the outlook is for Drew Brees and the Saints this year? Because the first two weeks, Brees did look shot. Then he started to, to get it together a little bit. And as you say, he seems to be working out now what he can and can't do. Kind of the same way Peyton Manning did when he first went to Denver and suddenly realized that he couldn't play the way he did in India anymore. He had to adjust the throws he could make we're starting to see that from Breeze, but he doesn't have time, right? He doesn't have, this isn't a two or three year project. This whole thing is built to win a Super Bowl this year. So he needs to get his stuff together quick enough for them to A, make the playoffs and then B, for Breeze to be part of this once they get there. Yeah, I, I still think that the Saints, I mean, I think the more concerning for me right now with the Saints is their defense than Breeze. If only because I think Breeze, they can make do with Breeze. And like, even if you look at his passing chart against the Chargers, I mean, I know Michael Thomas isn't there, but it's like, it's like all concentrated short right. Right. You know I mean, he's, and he took that, he had that one floater bomb to Jared Cook. But I mean, he's basically just pumping it in short right. I thought they did a, a poor job. Sean Payton, Sean Payton hadn't had a great year either. You know, like, I don't think he's called great game so far this year and that's not Sean Payton's one of the all-time great offensive minds in professional football but I just don't I think the loss of Michael Thomas and and they need to get him back and I think that will dramatically improve the Saints offense obviously not just because he's a good player but because of they like to run that slant which is basically their like off their version of an off tackle run where they know they're going to get like x amount of yards yeah, I mean, like it's it is it's or it's like Brady tossing to James White. You know, you know you're going to pick up a couple of yards. You know that the completion percentage is like seventy percent. And when you start to look at their schedule, I just think with two games against the Falcons left, you know they have two against the Panthers, who look like a much better team than we thought. But they get the Eagles. You know, they they have to play the Buccaneers one more time. Chiefs, Vikings. I mean, there's enough winnable games here where I think it comes down to can the defense improve enough over the final three quarters of the season that it can help to carry the load in the playoffs because I don't know that 
Breeze and even if Michael Thomas is back, even with Kamara there, even if Traquan Smith and Emmanuel Sanders are really helping out, I don't know that this offense has the next level that it used to to just overtake a game completely in the playoffs. But there's a next level. It's the Taysom Hill level. No, no. Just get Taysom Hill. Are you pro or con on uh, Taysom Hill generally? On Taysom Hill. I mean, I'm, I'm generally just Yay con or on. I'm con on 30 year old quarterbacks from BYU that are getting 16 million dollars against the cap or something next year. No, no, I fair. mean, I like I like the idea of of being. I like the idea. I like the idea of Taysom Hill. I like the concept of Taysom Hill. I like that it does. You know that, that Sean Payton is. I just feel like Sean Payton. It's like he just he he's trying to force it to work. Now it's a little bit easier to run him out there this year because you, you you're no longer like oh you're taking your Hall of Fame quarterback off the field you're like oh, you're taking that noodle arm off the field might not be that bad. Right. The, the last couple of years it didn't make as much sense to me because Breeze was dealing like he was yeah. he was playing really well when the Jets had Mark Sanchez and they were like we're adding the Wildcat to our package got to do it and it's like all right that kind of makes sense let's take the ball <laughs> out of Sanchez's hands a couple times sure. this year with Breeze maybe it makes a little bit more sense. All right, we're five weeks in. Any um, broad question? Big surprises, biggest stories for you that you're following uh, through five weeks here, non-COVID related? Uh, well, I mentioned sort of off the top. And, okay, so one, I would say that uh, these – Justin Herbert is fascinating to me. I I mean, I – Pete again, not to bring it back to Pete, but he and I got in this huge like, like two- or three-day text argument before the draft about Justin Herbert. And it's like we're on a thread with a couple of people, and – like I, I went back and watched like every game from from his Oregon days. We were just screenshotting him like Pete, come on. Like you cannot think <laughs> that this guy is gonna be good. And I, I just curious to see is this is he is this legitimate or is he just making a couple of big throws every game and then they're just sort of disguising it by getting him on the move and having him dump off to to running backs and, and just smashing slants to Keaton Allen. Um I mean, I think I think that's a big story because he went six overall. Would the Dolphins have taken him fifth? Would the Washington football team have taken him second if they know what they know about Dwayne Haskins? Because we, I mean, I had a mock draft that got me yelled at by a bunch of people because I had him taken two a second. But I mean, like, if you can do it right now, wouldn't you? And I, I mean, and he's get, like now he's going to be compared to Tua, and there's pressure on Tua because he hadn't even played yet. I, so I think the Herbert thing is big. Um, Yes, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, that's a fascinating story to me. And I think the Chargers admitted that they wanted Tua. He got taken at five, and then they ended up with Herbert. And it felt like they were just grabbing the next quarterback and didn't necessarily love him. But I think it's a fair question. Do they prefer Herbert now over Tua? Not even, you know, sight unseen to this point, but fascinating right now. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what the analytics said about Herbert coming out. I can't remember if you guys were pro Herbert or not. We were more against him than anything. I, it, I mean, the tape, like, I mean, you guys watch the tape. Yeah. Like, he, did, there's, he missed a billion easy throws. That, that, and he had to be schemed up to make the throws he did. And yeah, he can whip one down the field. I just didn't, I, I didn't buy in. And I'm now I'm like, I'm a little stubborn because I saw, I saw like Mina Kimes tweet something out yesterday where she was like, I'm, t- I'm taking the L on Herbert. And I'm, I'm, my head's in the same space. Like I sort of just want to take the L now, but we're five weeks in. This is not guaranteed. You know, like, f- I mean, five weeks into, you know, Baker Mayfield, who I, I like Baker a lot, but, you know, five weeks into his rookie year, it's like this guy, like, oh, like, you know, people, like, people who doubted him screwed up. And then, you know, a year later, it's like, is Baker toast? We were he doing toast. the victory laps after five yeah. weeks of yeah. his rookie season. Damn it. We yeah. don't apologize um, and take L's here, though. I had, I had a Josh Allen apology note 
from Bills fans, and yeah. I was I was going to sign it on the last show here, and mm -hmm. I ripped it up. I ripped it up. Yeah. I said, I'm not apologizing for my Josh Allen takes. And look, he throws a couple picks last night. Should have had more. Yeah. So since I've ripped oh. up the Josh Allen apology, he's regressed. Well, and that was going to be the other point, too. It's like Allen was an MVP candidate. And it's this is why MVP stuff after three to four weeks is stupid. But yeah, we all need to it stop. Yeah, I know. We just, but it, it's not. It's never going to stop. It's only going to get worse. Um, <laughs> True. Allen played poorly against the Titans. Awful. And we were sort of we were talking before the podcast about this. I am curious about what and, and uh, Brady Quinn and I were texting about this, and he he sent me because he he called the Dolphins Seahawks game down in Miami, and he sent me a a, a shot that I had missed because I didn't watch a ton of that game. I don't think where the Dolphins dropped nine guys into coverage against Russell Wilson. Oh no, excuse me, was it the other way around? The Seahawks dropped no, yeah, the Seahawks dropped nine against like Ryan Fitzpatrick. And the, but the Dolphins were doing the same thing. They're dropping a bunch of guys into coverage. And I'm curious if this is something that's going to continue because we have seen a couple different uh, instances of it, especially with younger quarterbacks who are very mobile and explosive in the run game and who like to, you know, take to Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, Lamar Jackson, and then Josh Allen with the Titans on, on Tuesday night. We've seen those guys at various points. The, the Vikings did it uh, to Watson. To, to a great effect in right. that game, right? They dropped their linebackers into this coverage and just had him sit there and, and wait. And like, all right, good, like you got to read, you got to read these windows and make quick decisions. And Bill O'Brien did an awful job with like these long developing crossing routes and then like vertical shots that, that Watson wasn't comfortable taking. They got some pressure by rushing four. And we saw the Chiefs do the same thing to Lamar, right? I mean, they're like, all right, look, you know, you can pick up five yards per rush. Or you can dump it off to Marquise Brown, but I mean, you know, we're going to play contain on you. Um, and then, you know, we saw the Patriots do it with Patrick Mahomes. So I just wonder how is this, is this the, are we moving more towards this in 2020? Is this an aberration because we have less practice time for defenses? Is this something that we're going to see that will continue to fool these younger quarterbacks who have had a lot of success? But part of that success is predicated on the fact that you're seeing so much man on the back end that you can take off and run and pick up yardage. And the defenses have to play a little more honest and you can go over the top on them. I, I just wonder if this, this zone type of coverage that we're sort of seeing this year is the future or if it's just an aberration for 2020. Well, so I think it's a great point on all of the QBs that you mentioned. All of those QBs, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Deshaun Watson, Mahomes, they're all highlight reel type players, right? They're all guys that are going to make special throws. And part of the reason, I mean, Mahomes is awesome all across the board. But I agree with you on the Herbert take, essentially. Is it just a few great throws and then a whole bunch of, eh, you know, in the middle? To this point, it really is. And that's not to take away the value of those great throws. They're extremely valuable. And that's why they've put a ton of points on the board. Um, I guess my point is what the Titans did with Josh Allen specifically, making him patient, right? Take, yes. throw, after throw after throw and you'll have some highlight reel stuff in there but it's a little bit harder right you have to have patience and i think that's where through the years the brady's and breezes and Peyton's of the world like their highlight reel is is good still but it's not what maybe a mahomes is going to put up in his career or rogers but quarterbacking is just making you know 40 45 good plays in a game not three so i think there is something to that like i'd rather have josh allen be right 40 times instead of you know, given, you know, three or four freebies behind the defense. And I think that's going to be the key with Herbert. And all that that you said, we're in the business of needing to make, you know, hot takes and immediate, you know, you know, have immediate answers and, 
takes and all that stuff, it's like, well, the NFL is about adjusting, right? So right. Mahomes is still being adjusted too. Josh Allen is going to get adjusted to after, you know, four good games. and all. So it's it's all a work in progress, right? We can't overdo it in small sample sizes because the NFL still needs to, you know, have their say and make their adjustments defensively. That's what I think. I'm, I'm, with, I'm with you on that a little no, bit. I, I, was, I, thought, I didn't know if Sam was going to jump in. You I thought so too. <laughs> Sam usually has good timing. We we are we've been working together for eight years, and usually when I give him a look, he knows to talk, and he yeah. didn't. Right? I, 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 I mean, like I even saw the look. I thought I was like, oh, Sam's going to talk, then I'll do a follow. I, look, we, we've got a guest on now. I was being nice and polite. I was I was letting Will have no. The this is the boss has said I make it conversational. Point, so okay. you got to follow on it. All right. uh, but no, I do. I think that's the key there, like on the patience thing. Because if you play that type of coverage on Tom Brady, he's like, cool. I'm going to dink and dunk on you, and I'm going to make 15 throws down the field. And we're, maybe Tom Brady of the Patriots. I don't know if this still applies. At least with Bruce Arians, it's a different offense Captain, right now. Captain Biscuit. Um, yeah. But I think that you know, like Brady's like, all right, fine. Like I'm going to hit Julian Edelman 42 times underneath, and I'm going to dump it off to James White, and they're just going to make some plays and pick up yards, and we'll get first downs, and we'll execute in the red zone with this big, tall tight end named Gronk. Um, now it, you know, with Josh Allen, if you could, you could sense it, like even and, and, it, and it threw him off, even on that Yeldon. Uh, like just laser to the back of the end awesome. zone. Yeah, he still missed him at first. Right. You know he was open and he he was hesitant. He was just he's hesitating to throw. He's not seeing like Stefan Diggs just in one on one coverage streaking up the sideline like he was early on. And the other thing with Allen too that I think sort of and you, you got you know there was such a pushback on you know like everybody anybody who like supported anybody who like even like questioned Allen at all was just getting like. Apology yeah, letters. It's like a cancel mm. culture, right? Yeah. yeah. But Allen racked up a ton of yardage when the Bills were throwing aggressively with a lead late in some of those early games. Like his stats were and, and that's that's not garbage time stats. You have a lead and you're being aggressive, and I like that. But you know, he was like throwing play action bombs to digs on first down. And I think if you take him maybe in the context of like if they, if they just run the clock out and run the ball with Singletary, then maybe we're not looking at his stats and saying how great he was. I also think, I don't know what his numbers are for interceptable passes, but if you watch like what the first game, the game against the Dolphins, I think. Yeah. I mean, he had somewhere. He threw one right to a guy in the flat against the Dolphins. He had one in, against the in, Jets. Like, inside of his own, in his, it, would have been, it would have been a pick six. Pick six, exactly. Um, and that was his best statistical game, I think. And that's that was when we had a big fight with, Dolph with, with Bills fans. Um, he threw one on the goal line against the Jets, and he had two actual fumbles. Like, he has two fumbles, right, that don't show up in the in the passing stats. And the crazy pass to Diggs that was, like, inches away from being intercepted. Oh, it went up. through the corner's yeah. hands, and then Diggs ended up catching it, which was ridiculous. So, yeah, he got away with some. And he got I, away I do with like some that we're taking night. our – it's like <laughs> – and this is how I mean, this is how it works in, in, in NFL. Reverse like, for Allen had a bad game? All right. Yeah. Dump on him. Sold you. the knuckles and get ready for a little like, – you know, like, all right, where, where's Prisco? Where, you know. Is Pete victory lapping – over there with you guys or what i mean how what's what it, now that oh, he's owning he's the simulation he's he last night well he did this thing too where you know russ leads that comeback on sunday night and pete's like he was average tonight <laughs> okay, okay well he's and then like and then and then like you know last night he's like alan was fine nothing wrong it's like what are you talking about like you right. can't rip russ and then compliment alan's performance like russ was just bad i mean russ russ didn't have his greatest game in the world I mean, but Allen was awful. Wisconsin where, quarterback Russell Wilson. Yeah. Where was uh, where was Pete on Josh Allen? Because he's a big tools kind of guy, right? In terms of oh, he, no, he was huge on Allen. Right. Out. So he's he's 
he's looking like a genius right now because we've had a run of all these toolsy quarterbacks actually working out. I mean, Hackenberg being the exception, but well, ha- Josh well, Allen didn't actually have tools. That was the yes, issue. that was right. the big problem. But he had like an empty toolbox. Yes, he yes. looked like a carpenter, but no tools actually oh, in his box. That's, yeah, that's yeah, good. yeah, that is a good one. Did you use that? No, but no. It's, it's, that is good. That is good. But but that's exactly what the thing is. So Pete Prisco loves all these toolsy quarterbacks, and a run of them right now have been working out. So he looks fantastic. But the oh, problem yeah. is, you would think that about Jamarcus Russell as well. Like it's not, you know, you, you're not buying a thousand here. If there's a trend there, I think that's an interesting one. Mahomes, yes, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, in a league that's actually throwing shorter than yeah. ever, the guys that are driving the ball down the field and have that big playability are maybe panning out more than they have in the past. And, I, or is it I just would a say too, though, on those three guys specifically, situation matters, right? Like sure. The, yeah. The the Chiefs. I mean, this is a Chiefs are a no brainer. Like right. they, you know, you drop in with Andy Reid and all those weapons. Like I don't think Mahomes gets drafted by Chicago second overall and is you know, the MVP in his first year as a starter and the unquestioned greatest player in football right now. That 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 doesn't happen. Um, sorry, John Fox, it just doesn't. Um, and and then with Allen, it's really been understated what a job Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott have done. Yeah. Before he even got there, they went out and completely redid the offensive line. In a very under like an uh, like an undersold way. I mean, they went out and got guys who were not splashy free agents, and they they got a group that's been consistently together for a while. Then after Allen, they draft Allen, and they added uh, Beasley and John Brown, and those aren't you know sexy free agent signings, but they're nice complimentary guys. Then they trade for Diggs, oh, and they huge. built up this defense in the process too. So Allen, and then look credit Brian Dable for changing the way that he calls games, and I don't know if that was his his idea. Or if that was an edict from on high, like we got to be better on offense and let's be more analytically inclined and throw on first and second down more. I, I don't, I don't, I don't, we don't know that. I don't think anybody knows that except them. Um, but they, they've done a lot to surround him with talent. And then Herbert, you know, the, my biggest concern about dogging Herbert was when he was, I was like, man, if there's a system that's good for Herbert, it's like a, he's like, a, like it's a Tyrod Taylor system. Like, you know, like ask him to use his legs, get him on the get him on the run, throw some short throws, and then take some shots down the field to these pretty good receivers. Like it's that's that was my concern that he if he played he might actually be good this year. Yeah, I mean, I I wrote I'm, I like to sit on the fence, you know. So I sat on the fence with my Herbert takes. I wouldn't take him in the top ten, but I put a, like a late first on him and Josh Allen because there's a chance that they could be good. And my sure. my caveat with Herbert is. Field flipping arm strength is what I called it, mm. which we've seen. Um, and the but you have to use it right. So if you try to make him something else, you could have problems. But they're letting him drive the ball down the field, and I've been impressed with his composure. You know, it's not just arm strength; it's got carry. He's his accuracy down the field's been excellent. Um, but the short game and just a lot again, the, the, all the stuff in between just hasn't been great yet. Um, so yeah, I think he's in a pretty good situation. It's funny. There's like, there's no nuance in the world anymore, right? So the fact that you're a little bit lower on Herbert or anybody else is, it means you hate him. So if yes. they're better than you thought they were right out of the gate, you were wrong. You need to take the L. You need to sign an apology form. But actually, <laughs> we'll rip it up. it's crazy because we, since Hackenberg, right? Hackenberg is the one quarterback that we wrote off completely and said, there is just no chance, none, that this guy works out and becomes a top quality starting NFL caliber quarterback. All the other ones, even the ones we really didn't like, we've been ridiculously careful to actually not do that, to not write them off and to say, look, 
there's a way these guys can be good. The Josh Allens, the the Justin Herberts of the world. Lamar. It's just Daniel Jones, whoever it is, right? Yeah. It's just a smaller chance than the other than, you know, than another guy in this draft class or someone else you would be more confident taking that shot on. But to anybody else out there, it's just, ah, you hated him, you're wrong, take the L. Idiots. All right, well, well, we appreciate all your time. What let's wrap it up with this. Very important question here. <laughs> what were you doing? What were you up to the last time the Browns were four and one? 1994. Great question. What was Will life? I mean, 94. I was 13 years old. I mean, I guess I was in. It's got a year on us. 13. How are you guys older or younger than me? 82. Born in 82. So I'm 81. Steve's older Um, than all of us. No, not you. You're older than me. He's the oldest now. I'm the oldest. Yeah. I was born in 82, like you. Yeah. And he's 81, which makes him older. Okay. Then I'm the youngest. Yeah, you are. You're like a baby. Excellent. So you're 13. It's 1994. I mean, what, listening to like, boys to men right yeah i mean i'm probably like at a middle school dance nice. you know, like 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 absolutely petrified do we have any pictures um, can we get some footage this, in this here? middle school teacher mr cochran it was like the goofy middle school teacher and he'd like walk around the middle school dance you're like play free bird you're like <laughs> that's great and you also wonder you're like why don't they play more led zeppelin what, yeah. doggy style? what year did like doggy style come out was that 95 or is that 94 are you googling right now yeah. I see you going. <laughs> I want to say before 95, I, but I don't know. I no earthly idea. Boys to men were hot. 90, no, November 93. So 93. that was definitely like. Nailed it. Still. I mean, yeah. Oh yeah. So 90. All right, so I'm right on. Yeah. 94 is like, like everybody's playing doggy style songs from. I mean, like that was like the album of 94 if it came out in November. Green Day. Green Day is coming out right around then, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't. And then it was Siamese Dream 91. What were you doing 94, Sam? You heard about my Little League exploits and our winning the championship on the last show. What were you doing back in 94? I don't know. What age did we say we were? 12? 12. Uh, I think I was still in London then. I was either in London or just moved up north to the north of England. So I either spoke like a pure Cockney you know, proper like stereotypical Dick Van Dyke style from Mary Poppins. Yeah. <laughs> or had just started to lose that and like neutralize. Really my childhood is just a story of different accents along the way, like depending on where I lived. That's that's how you judge your life. Yeah. Where you were. It's right. funny. So we, we dug up these old tapes of um so I started off in Ireland, moved all around the world, ended up moving back to Ireland and getting my accent back, getting an Irish accent back before coming over here and losing it and becoming like the Golf Channel guy, which is where I am right now. Um, but we found these like old, uh, like family home movies of me when I was a kid, when I had the Irish accent the first time around before I lost it. And it was a different Irish accent than the one I ended up getting back. So I like same place, lived within like a couple of hundred yards of the first house, but had a completely different accent the first time around than I did when I, when I reclaimed it. It was bizarre. I love it, man. That's uh, the story of your life, right? Now you're full American. Yeah, just sound like up, me. Messed up sequence of accents. Just a Midwestern accent guy. God. Well, Will. Well, these, now I'm like just neck. Yeah, I mean, I just remember a high level of like middle school anxiety. Oh, <laughs> you know, like, yes. you know, like, like for dumb reasons, which, you know, you wish you could explain to your kid now. You're like, dude, like, I mean, my son's six and a half, so he's not worried about it yet. But it's like, I mean, like all of the, cons- like, the deep driving concerns that you would have like in middle school about like like are you like are you cool enough are you listening to right music are you like do like do girls like you and in hindsight once you get to 2020 you're like it really isn't that important like oh, you'll man, a don't... you'll figure it out later and b uh there's actually a, a like a, bu- a modern bubonic plague headed our way so don't worry about it now. <laughs> 
Yeah, there really should be a, a mechanism of conveying to kids that almost nothing in your life means anything until you're like 20-something years old. Like, just forget I, I, about I, it. Chill. I got a call the night before my first day of middle school. A call from my best friend. He said, Steve, this is very serious. Get rid of your sweatpants. Jeans only. If you come in in sweatpants, you're going to get beat up. You're going to get made fun of. I mean, I mean, elementary school, I'm like, I'm going to be comfortable. I'm going to wear some sweats and everything. Now, thanks to millennials, sweats are they're business casual. And you call them joggers and it's fine. It's unbelievable. But back then, I got a call of warning. This was Mike again. Shout out again to Mike. Hmm. Like, Steve, you better go get some jeans. I had like one pair of jeans. So I had to go to the store night before first day of middle school just to just to protect my uh, my reputation in sixth grade. You know what? And the other thing, too, like that's unfair about growing up in the 90s is so about, yeah, I wear like, you know, you guys wear like polo shirts and yeah, yeah. like I'm wearing this is a, like a Peter Millar shirt that's basically made from polyester. I mean, it is so stretchy and comfortable and I, I wear these all the time. We, we had like like they might as well have been chain mail what you were wearing in, in, in the mid nineties. It's like these heavy, like you would go play, think about golfers back then. Yeah. Golfers would play golf in these obscenely, like just heavily knit polo shirts. Like right. Tiger Woods is out there winning the masters in this like 40 pound red polo shirt in, in 95. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. And, and nowadays you, I mean, like these kids are wearing like polyester. They're, they're covered in polyester. Oh, and then the, the, the sock comparison is fun for 94 versus 2022. If you had, if your socks were showing in '94, you're a loser. Oh gosh, socks yeah. need maybe look like you, like you had to like, like to make your socks disappear as much as possible into the high and Now tops. these kids pull them up to their knees. Yeah, I mean that. Well, that was that's coming back from the '80s. You know, the classic old white sock with yeah. stripes. They're just the kids are bringing it back. The other thing I never quite understood is that at some point, all these weird fabrics like polyester and lycra and all those kinds of things, they sort of transition from like. This is some backwards ass product that we invented in the 90s and then we realized it was terrible and actually the worst thing in the world. And then like Under Armour came along and was like, you know what? This is breathable. This is it's cutting cool. edge. It's great. Right. And we just, we suddenly decided that this like 20 year old backwards technology was actually the best thing possible for humanity. And now that's what everything's constructed out of. And this is it. The, the Zennials complain hour yeah. is what we're at, right? We're Zennials. Are we Zennials? Well, is that what we are? Uh, we decided I'm definitely not a millennial. We're not in right. Gen X. If you're born between like 78 and 84. We seem to be trapped I in this weird, weird block that doesn't actually have a, an appropriate name. The rule is, did, did you have a point in your life where you didn't have a cell phone, right? And like yeah. Nintendo oh, yeah. was kind of, you know, so we were like at the forefront of having a Nintendo or a Sega Genesis, having technology. We know what a rotary phone is. Yeah, the phone is a good right? one, right? If and you then you have a if, cell phone at some point. If at any point. point in your life you remember not having a cell phone, you fall into this category. So we, the Zennial hour. Take, we used to take my parents, you know, you have your cord phone in your kitchen, right? And yeah. um, without telling them, my brother and I would record some sort of stupid, like fake voice, like voicemail message. They'd be like, welcome to the Brinsons. If you leave a message, like I quote Tommy Boy or something like, Charlie will come back there and hit you over the head with a tack hammer. And like, my parents <laughs> wouldn't realize it for like three days. And then someone would, they'd see somebody at the store and they'd be like, what is that voicemail that, 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 that Will and Charlie left? I love on it. Your, uh, and, and they're like, oh my God. They the answering machine, right? You yeah, used to come home machine. and check your answering machine yeah. for messages. Right. Oh, I got four, you have four messages on your answering machine. I love it. This is why you're on here, Will. Appreciate it. What else do you want? Anything else to, uh, to push besides the podcast? Uh, we, do a we do a daily 4 p.m. show on CBS Sports HQ that I host. Uh, it's called the Pick 6 Podcast Show. They're 
Anyway, Pete Prisco's a guest sometimes. I think today's Wednesday, which means we'll be talking to Brady Quinn and Pete Prisco doing picks for all the games. Uh, you can check that out on our free streaming 24-7 Sports Network. Follow me on Twitter, at Will Brinson, and uh, subscribe to the podcast. Oh, I love it. That's well, what we should be watching for uh, scouting, opposition prep, Brady and, and right. Pete for yeah, the yeah. basketball tournament. Yeah, let's get Pete trash-talking Brady on air or something like that. Let's get him. I'll, 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 bring it up this, I'll bring it up today and tell him that we talked about it. Perfect. I love it. We'll be tuning in. So appreciate it, Will. We'll have you back. Thanks, man. Hey guys, life is full of questions. Like what would happen to my family if something happened to me? Am I saving enough for retirement? And is now the right time to start thinking about life insurance, just to name a few. No one should have to settle for answers to these life altering questions that involve gray areas or leaving things to chance. And with Western and Southern, you won't have to. Backed by over 130 years of experience gathering insights, building strategies and helping customers choose the right solutions, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated endorser products issued by member companies of Western and Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. Man, I mean, that conversation with Will makes me really want that basketball tournament to happen. It has to. More we need more. We need to get that. Oh, dude, we haven't played since COVID hit. So we got shut down. Yeah, we're both... And I'm not sure we had the Wait. muscle memory in the first place to survive that kind Don't of shutdown. Lump me in with you and uh, well, like your right. problem is less the muscle memory of the game and more like moving. No, that's fair. That's fair. I will have a heart attack the first time we get back out there. Right, and I'm not much better off. Like I had just started to generate my bit of speed back, and that's all gone now. Yeah, we got to get some reps under our belt. I really want basketball to happen again. It's always good to to flash back. We should just pick like a year every week and just flash back to that year and talk about what was happening then. I can't believe we escaped that year without you harking back to like Mark Brunel or something ridiculous. Well, Brunel was just a backup with the Packers. I, I mean, if you said 1999, I'd say 14-2 right. Jags. Those stupid Titans. They only <laughs> lost to the Titans that year. Anyway, that'll do it. Week six. Yep. That's our preview. Be sure to tune in. Monday, we'll be reviewing every single game. Everybody enjoy the NFL action. Don't forget the Chris Collinsworth podcast. Special thanks to our sponsors at the top. Go do all the stuff that we said. Yeah, yeah, do all of it. Um, future Hall of Famer next week. Oh, is that what we're teasing? Yeah. Next week in our week seven preview show. Future Hall of Famer. Future Hall of Famer. Absurd athlete. Yeah, that's, that's enough. That's enough. That's, that's, that'll do. That's a tease. See you guys Monday.